I don't think there's a lever involved. I'm excited about Senator Horse. <laughs> I have forgotten every other man's name. I will never get tired of saying that. Welcome to Up Yours Downstairs, the podcast that's keen as mustard. I'm Kelly Anakin. And I'm Tom Schneider. We are properly married. You know I value you more than anything. That creepy tone of voice does not incline me to believe you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think you value our TV more than you value me, frankly. Well, you know, with, I mean, with the cable subscription included and everything. I mean, it's yeah. a whole package. Right. Okay. No. And I can't yeah. offer that. Oh, right. You know, I can't compete. I You you don't have Mr. Selfridge on you. Mm, yet. <laughs> Wait till he sees my creepy dance routine that I do with a teddy bear. <laughs> Dear God. <laughs> Welcome back, cousins, to another round of Mr. Selfridge recaps. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're really excited to get into the recap itself. But first, as ever, it's telegrams from our cousins. <laughs> first, we have a telegram from Cousin Leo, who writes, Hi, Kelly and Tom. If you want a racy PBS series, Mr. Selfridge has nothing on I, Claudius, which aired on Masterpiece Theater in 1979 and 1980. Since it was based on the historical facts of the lives of the early Roman emperors, it has everything, including loads of rape, incest, and murder of all sorts, poisoning, drowning, starvation, and tossing off cliffs, to name just a few. Memorable scenes include just about anything Caligula does, cutting a conceived incest baby from his sister, inducting his horse as a senator... (laughs) Another famous scene is Messalina, Claudius's third wife, famous competition with a prostitute to bed the most men in a night. Messalina won. It really doesn't ever end. Best series ever. P.S. I knew that Anakin guy from since he had to be related to you. Give him my congrats. He is playing very well. Also, they really like to get family members on, so it might increase your chances. Legacy factor. Thanks for your podcast, Cousin Leo. Yeah, uh, that I, Claudius, sounds like a little piece of all right. <laughs> I'm excited about Senator Horse. <laughs> yeah. No, actually, I, you know, I was sort of aware that that had happened and was astonishingly racy. Uh-huh. Um, and I also was just reading this week about how it, it's not just that they use lead pipes in Roman times for their drinking water, which caused lead poisoning. But moreover, the most popular sweetener, which was a condensed fruit syrup, was made in lead containers, which is partly, uh, perhaps, why the richest and people at the very top were most likely to go crazy uh-huh. because they could afford to sweeten all their food with the poison <laughs> sugar <laughs> that they all used. Not only that, it is known that they did know in Roman times that lead exposure was like dangerous, and they apparently just didn't care well, we know sun exposure is dangerous, and we just don't care. That's a fair point. So, I don't know. Yeah. You know, you do know we're the new Roman Empire, right? Uh, Eddie Izzard said so. <laughs> well. If Eddie Izzard said it. Case closed. Exactly. <laughs> uh, and yes, in case anybody is interested, uh, my brother John Anakin will be appearing on Jeopardy once again on uh, Monday, May 20th. They've been off for a couple weeks doing a... I believe a college tournament. A college tournament. Slightly less insipid than the teen tournament. Uh-huh. Uh, so he will be returning to defend his title on Monday, May 20th. And so you can tune in and see uh, how he does. Yeah. 
Next, we have a telegram from Cousin Esther. Dearest cousins, I'm relatively new to your podcast, but I have chewed through your episodes on seasons one and two. I have also listened to your episodes on Mr. Selfridge, and I laughed my head off. Also, thinking back a ways to Downton Abbey seasons one and two, I believe the evil red bedroom shared by Kamal Pamuk and Sir Richard Carlyle is, in fact, the Armada Room, which was also used by the thoroughly evil Major Bryant. It's just a thought and a trivial one at that, and if I'm wrong, shoot me down. Anyway, I also wanted to suggest an Edwardian series to get you through the long and bitter Downton drought. It's called Casualty 1900s, or London Hospital in America, and is a historical spin-off of the British medical drama Casualty. Set in the Edwardian era, it tells the story of the staff at the London Hospital and the medical emergencies and advancements in technology that affected their lives and the lives of the general populace. It's absolutely full of historical goodies that I think you would love. It is pretty gruesome, though, and quite sad at times. However, I still think it would be worth your while to cast about. If you've already heard about it, I apologize for clogging your inbox. Your affectionate cousin, Esther. First of all, y'all never clog our inbox. Even if it is something that we've heard before, chances are we have forgotten. That, that is true. We we barely remember season one of Downton Abbey. Right? Like, we really I barely remember. I was like, all oh, right, Mr. Pamuk. Yeah. Like, yeah. we could not shut up about him <laughs> yeah. for months. And now we barely remember that he ever even existed. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I have heard, actually, I think, of Casualty 1900s. Okay. I think I would be interested in that. If it is as gruesome as they say, though, you probably would not enjoy that. I probably would not enjoy it. However, I would love to see, and I'm not familiar with Casualty at all, but I would love to see American shows adopt this model. Mm-hmm. Like, you could be like Grey's Anatomy, uh, the Great Depression era, or yeah. it could be, you know, Law and Order, 1910. Yeah. Oh! <gasps> Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. That's right. Oh, my God. Yes. I would watch so much of that. I, you I know. you would even have Sam Waterston still be in it. I know, exactly. He can do anything. Yeah. So uh, I think I think that's a great uh, innovation. Oh, my God. <laughs> in spinoffs. Oh, man. Innovations in franchising. <laughs> Next, we have a telegram from Cousin Christine, who writes... As a bonus to enjoying Downton with you and Tom, I also get a little extra entertainment out of Game of Thrones these days by thinking about Up Yours Downstairs. See, every time they cut to a Bran, Osha, Hodor, Reeds scene, I imagine you giving a murder prison, ugh, and it makes me laugh a little, thus making the boredom more bearable. I hope you guys are doing great. Can't wait for the next Downton season. Thanks, Christine. That's so funny because this past week when I was on Boards, Gord, Swords, uh-huh. uh, I don't even remember what I said, but like, you know, during a long OSHA, you know, blabbing scene. Right. I was just like, shut up! <laughs> you're the worst! Yeah. So yeah, uh, feel free, really any show that you're watching that is boring <laughs> you, please feel free to just imagine me going, <laughs> Next, we have a telegram from Cousin Beckett, who writes, Hi, Cousins. I have to say that I agree with you about liking Mr. Selfridge better than Downton Abbey. Is that sacrilege? I think the fact that it is loosely based on real people and places gives it that extra push to the top for me. I know you don't like the actors playing the kids, but do me a favor and look up the awesomeness that is the middle daughter, Violette Selfridge. She was a suffragist, married a Viscount while wearing some lace that used to belong to Marie Antoinette, flew in a tiny plane called the Gypsy Moth on a round-the-world attempt, and basically was a fashionable, snappy, charming badass like her papa. 
I think we see a little bit of that emerging in this recent episode. Thanks for this coverage. It makes watching the show extra exciting to know I'll have another hour of commentary to enjoy afterward. I may not even watch Downton Abbey season four. Just listen to your show. I'm so concerned it's going to be a bust. Cousin Beckett. Uh, so we did try to look up Violette Selfridge, but there's very little in the way of information on her on the internet. Although there are some really cool photos of her. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so we'll do some digging and see yeah, what we was, can find. It was a slightly hasty search, so, you know, there's, there may still be more to uncover. But, uh, definitely we'll check that out. And also, mm-hmm. if you haven't checked it out, because I finally actually listened to it this week. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Cousin Beckett is the co-host of a great podcast called The History Chicks. Mm-hmm. You can go to thehistorychicks.com, I believe. If that's wrong, we'll fix it in post. <laughs> It'll just be Tom coming in and saying, www.thehistorychicks.blogspot.com. <laughs> but we'll also put some links up on the Facebook page to uh, relevant Edwardian slash post-World War One era ladies that they've covered. But I listened to like their first episode, which is about Laura Ingalls Wilder, who mm-hmm. I just love. So yeah. that was really cool for me. Yeah, but it definitely seems like there's got to be a lot of cousins. If, if you like us, it seems like the sort of thing that you would like. Yeah. Uh, that you would also like this. So check it out. Uh, and I would also say that, I mean, obviously, we are going to watch Downton Abbey season four. I think we're required by law. <laughs> I think we are. Um, and I... I certainly understand anybody who's concerned that it's going to be a bust. Uh, In you the know, Hall of Fame. Well, right. Um, you know, but I, I don't really think so. I mean, I think it's just going to continue to be inconsistent uh, until its ratings start to fall off. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I, I don't, I don't see like a dramatic collapse. I don't either, but I also think they have potential to, like, make it really good again. Yeah. Because now they have to tell a different story. Right. You know? Right. The entail is safe. Mm-hmm. You know, it's in the hands of baby George. Right. So now they have, right, they have to tell a different story. <laughs> you would think. That's not about them and their dumb money. You, you. And, and being stupid. You would think. God, I, mean, I hope so. You know. We've already had Lord Grantham lose all their money like seven or eight times. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to think he's done with that at this point. <sighs> all Look, the, yeah. Baron Julian, I don't think is particularly concerned <laughs> with what we want or don't want. Yeah, that's true. And the one thing Matthew was actually good for was keeping Lord Grantham from throwing all their money away. So <laughs> now he's gone. So. I've decided to have him buried with our fortune. <laughs> <laughs> He would have wanted it that way. Papa. Matthew never would have wanted that. How dare you tell me what Matthew, the only person I ever loved, wanted. My only child. (laughs) Papa, don't be ridiculous. You have three other children. There's only two of you. (laughs) What happened to the other one? Isis? What's going on? Aw, I kind of miss Downton Abbey, though. <laughs> I know, me too. Even though I do, like, I still like Mr. Selfridge better. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a bit of a, like, a Mad Men thing going on with it where, like, mm-hmm. I don't care about, like, the home stuff nearly as much as I do about the store stuff. Yeah. Despite the fact that I think Francis O'Connor is giving the best performance of anybody. Yeah. Oh. Um, I, I would say maybe Lady May. Yeah, but I just, I don't know. I mean, she's she's a very kind of caricatured sort I of thing. I understand, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. 
There are multiple Boy, good performances. I'll tell you what, though. I don't envy them having to go up against Downton Abbey in the miniseries category yeah. in the Emmys. Yeah. Or wait, no, maybe they're not going to. I mean, it seems like a... No, 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 because remember last year... Yeah, they were... Downton went in as a regular right, series. Right, as a drama, yeah. So stupid. <laughs> you know. Anyway, so I don't know if they'll do that again this year. I mean, it doesn't matter right. what they do. Of course, you know, yeah, Maggie I Smith mean, is going to win. Right. You know, but, Mr. You know. Selfridge isn't... You know, it's not... It's not the hot show, and so... I think know. the costume design and the set dressing is better. I'll go with you on the... Yeah... I mean, I think, you know, the, the thing, I think Downton looks a bit better. It just has better locations that it's in. Yeah. I think you're probably, I think you're probably right on the costume design though. The costume design is fantastic. Well, yeah. Just because especially when you're at the store, all of the women have to wear a black dress. Right, right. So in order to make every person kind of distinct from each other, like mm-hmm. it's really. Yeah. When I said it in our last podcast, the fact that every woman has almost the same hairstyle and yet every woman has a different hairstyle. Mm-hmm. That's, mm-hmm. you know. Very true. Yeah, so anyway, we love the stuff at the store. Right. The stuff at home is like okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, but we still love Mr. Selfridge. Yeah, we, we do. But before we talk about that, I think we need to talk about The Great Gatsby because everybody wanted us to talk about <laughs> oh, it. Oh, yeah. Uh, set in, you know, the jazz age. That's true. That's true. Oh, shit. Cousin of the week first. Oh, oh yes. That's that's important. Um Sorry, we're just all over the place, cousin. Yeah, we, we don't, don't know what's wrong with us. <laughs> right. So, cousin of the week, uh, and th- those of you who have been following our social media presence this week may already have an idea of who it might be, but it is in fact cousin Bob. Way to go, cousin Bob! That's right. Cousin Bob works at Pixar and invited us to luncheon with him there. And oh my wow. god, yeah, like it was the coolest thing. We've ever done. <laughs> and I don't know if you know this, but we have a podcast based on Downton Abbey. And that's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, no, but I mean, it was just really fantastic. He gave us a lot of insight into uh, what goes on there. We got to see some really cool stuff. Mm-hmm. We're really excited to go see Monsters University now. Yeah. Which we did not care about at all before. Yeah. But, uh, you know, we, we've seen some of the production, like the character design, some of the like storyboard charting, you know, just what they show to the public. Yeah, yeah. The, the semi-public. Helen Mirren's doing a voice in it, which mm-hmm. I had no idea. Yeah. And like her character design is like so cool. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's amazing. Yeah. So thanks to Cousin Bob. It was really great to meet you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was, it was a great week. Yeah. And uh, so a very well-deserved Cousin of the Week. All right. Which does now bring us to The Great Gatsby. Yes. Which we both thoroughly enjoyed. Very much so. We did not see it in 3D, and we don't know how, if at all, that colored our experience. But like, Right. To an extent, I think if you saw it in 3D, you only have yourself to blame. Oh. Stop going to see things in 3D. Yeah, that's it's the just, only way to stop it. Yeah, it's just bad. It's just, it. you know, it's it's a novelty, but it it's always going to take you out of the movie tool to an extent. No, okay. I'm going to disagree with you here. All right. On two counts. Okay. Because I think it can be a really effective tool if it's utilized for the right kind of movie in the right way. Mm-hmm. First of all, being Coraline. Second of all, being Life of Pi. Yeah, that's true. I mean, Life of Pi is still a great movie without it. But yeah. with it, it gave it that sort of like ethereal quality. I guess that's true. I did. It didn't bother me in Life of Pi. And Coraline, I thought, was great. Well, Coraline Henry was great. And that was also... style is very well suited to that. The story itself has that sort of off-kilter... Yeah. Well, and I think... I, and the other thing I will say is that I think it's much 
better suited for animation because animation is already in that sort of it's not real and and the thing there's there's clear dividing lines mm-hmm. between everything in animation already um so the 3d those sort of extra levels are are not as off-putting i, I think. agree but i would also say that you know life of pi relied so heavily on these visual effects and i mean even that's, the visual effects alone if they had been poorly executed would have taken you out of the movie well that's true but they a weren't and b looked so gorgeous in 3d okay like just come on the opening credits no no no. i i you're right you're right that's that's a fair point yeah you're a bad person (laughs) that is not the conclusion i reach but back to the great gatsby (laughs) Uh, uh yeah the only things that i would really criticize about it is that they do elide uh nick's kind of you know queerness like he and jordan Mm -hmm. baker both are kind of ambiguous sexually right uh which obviously in the 20s you couldn't really get into even in america yeah even in the gauche states (laughs) but then the thing that i think that was more detrimental is that they don't talk really about his veteran status Mm -hmm. did he even mention it at the beginning i'm just not certain that they did like i don't think that they did either yeah which is i could a, be wrong you know i mean because especially i mean gatsby was for that to not that's part of why they bonded right because i think because tom buchanan didn't fight in the war right it's hard to imagine right yeah i mean if he did he most certainly like didn't help anyone <laughs> right no i mean i'm sure you know if there was any kind of draft he got you know pulled the strings and got assigned to mm-hmm. uh, carry a general's briefcase around in america somewhere yeah but yeah we overall like the movie a lot uh we also find almost all the criticisms of it infuriating mm-hmm. <laughs> um and and just entirely beside the point we do not feel that this was a book report this was not you know the and i feel this about all adaptations uh, you know that you have no responsibility to the source text. You just don't. You have to make, you know, you are making a separate work of art that was, you know, that is inspired by and uses elements and from another one. And obviously you go into it knowing that people are going to bring these preconceived notions to it. Right. But I didn't get the sense at all that Baz Luhrmann, I never get the sense that Baz Luhrmann gives a shit what anybody thinks. <laughs> right. But, um, you know, I think he made a really serviceable adaptation. Yeah. And, and-, I, and I, I like the modern music. I thought that it worked well. Um, a lot of people had a problem with the modern music. I thought it was fantastic. Yeah. And I'm like, and it, you know, it just is so frustrating that everybody, everybody thinks that Boz Lerman put modern music in there because he's gauche and just doesn't know any better. When it was clearly. It was a very educated choice yeah. to draw a very specific parallel to contemporary America. Yeah. Like it, it was not accidental. It's not just something that he, you know and again in this way he is very similar to shakespeare who didn't give a crap about <laughs> anything yeah he talks about clocks in ancient rome for christ's sake <laughs> you know and yeah. i mean people always put shakespeare up in this ivory tower despite the fact that he is the hackiest hack that ever hacked he really is it's, it's- he makes jay leno look like christopher marlowe <laughs> That may be the first time that sentence has ever been uttered. Uh, <laughs> Copyright. That's mine. No, and the other thing we should mention is that it's a very racially diverse film. Right. And it's handled so well. Yes. And as this is something that we criticize about Downton Abbey, mm-hmm. and you can also definitely... I mean, Mr. Selfridge, I think, is even whiter than Downton Abbey. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And, and this is exactly the point, because The Great Gatsby, like 
Downton Abbey and Mr. Selfridge is a story of white people who are clearly white, and that's inescapable. No, and they're in a hermetically white society to right. an extent. However... Right. What Baz Luhrmann made clear is that there were people of color in that world, lots of them, all the time. They're mm-hmm. always populating the, you know, the environments, whether it's, whether it's in the city, whether it's in the Valley of Ashes, whether it has servants mm-hmm. in, in West Egg. Transportation. Right. Like whether they're on the train, whether they're driving. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's really, and it's in all of the previews. Right. But like the scene where, uh, Gatsby's taking Nick to the city for the first time and they pass this car mm-hmm. of black people who are having like, you know, this crazy ass party in the car. Right. But I mean, it's just like, you know, you could make a whole movie about those people. Right. And that was a sense that I got from every person of color that I saw in the Mm -hmm. movie is that, you know, they were put there intentionally and that they were put there, uh, you know, with thought. Right. And, you know, both from a directorial perspective, from a cinematographical, cinema, cinema, cinematographic. Uh, anyway. The shots were composed good. <laughs> yeah. It um, looked and, you know, pretty. And all of the actors were invested in that. Yeah, and I yeah. mean, it just, it was a really great illustration about the blurring of the class edges that happened post-World War One. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I just, I wonder sometimes what would have happened with race relations in America if World War II hadn't disrupted everything. Yeah. I mean... To- I, I I don't know that it would have been better or worse or mm-hmm. any different, but it just seems like people were mixing more then. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we're not not, in a, not in a great way all the time. But you know, we're no historians, no. So we despite just, what you may have told yourselves, no, we we pretend to be constantly. <laughs> I'm not a historian, but I play one on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, we really liked it. Um, yeah, Joel Edgerton, I thought delivered the best performance Agreed. as Tom Buchanan. Agreed. Uh, but I thought all all four of the leads, I thought, did well. Mm-hmm. Um, and we generally hate both Leonardo DiCaprio and Tobey Maguire yeah. in all non-Ice Storm <laughs> roles. Right. Um, but no, I mean, Leonardo DiCaprio did a good job. I was certainly would have been happy to hate his performance. I thought it was the only emotionally engaged performance that he's given possibly since Romeo plus Juliet. Which, you know, coincidence? I think not. <laughs> yeah. Uh, also, Elizabeth Debicki right. as Jordan Baker, my mm-hmm. personal favorite character in all of American literature. Mm-hmm. <sighs> She's so fabulous. Yeah. I know. I just know she went on to have like a great life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I'm sure. This is what I like to tell myself <laughs> when I write my Jordan Baker fan fiction. <laughs> <laughs> it's just called Four. <sighs> Don't put ideas in my head, Tom <laughs> I'm very busy already. I know. It's a miracle we're even doing this podcast. It is. It is. <gasps> which, uh, speaking of which... Hey! <laughs> let's talk about Selfridge. Let's talk about Selfridge. Well, one quick note, and I know we talked about this last week, but I just want to say to Ralph Lauren... Why do your clothes make everybody that wears them so sad? Yeah, especially <laughs> like, when he's like, the love, the passion. The passion. And, and I'm like, neither your voice nor any of these models seem to, like, be feeling any of those feelings. Right. Or any feelings at all. They do seem all They're kind just of sort neutered. Of, like, maybe just a little glum. They're all just standing around in these beautiful places just being like, uh-huh. I really like a sandwich. <laughs> but I suppose I mustn't. I haven't had a period in five years. 
Um, so yeah, suck at Ralph Lauren. Oh my God. <laughs> and seriously, Viking River Cruises, they're not going to fundamentally change you. Like, have you not watched those commercials? The point of them is to keep you exactly as you are, right. despite being in a place that might challenge your worldview and sense of self. Right. <sighs> anyway, I'm very upset. Yes. Moving on to the show. Woohoo! We open in a vast, dark cavern with a uh, with a beautiful car in it. I like to call this place the uh, the self cave. Crab <laughs> um, is Alfred. <laughs> yes, Monsieur Leclerc's Nightwing. Because come on, he's no Robin. No, not at all. <sighs> and I could be his Barbara Gordon. Anyway, okay, <laughs> let's just not go down this road. No, let's not. We'll never come back. <laughs> That's true. Uh, but yes, there is a, uh, very flashy new motor, motor car there. That's a pretty nice motor car. It, it really is. It's very similar to the powder blue Bentley that I want that I saw <laughs> on an episode of Breaking Bad once. <laughs> yes. Uh, but it is, it is black and a beautiful black. Like, like I can't explain exactly. I thought it was blue. I think, well, the certain, well, maybe it's just this, uh, the seats and, and all that sort of thing were definitely black. I thought it was black on black, but it was a dark cave. Yeah, I think it's like light blue with actually like a taupe colored interior. No, it's not. <laughs> well, I need, uh, <laughs> look, we need to have our eyes checked, apparently, one of one, us. One of us is embarrassing ourselves right now. I can't wait to find out which one. I know. I mean, and certainly, I've been, I've embarrassed myself before. It might be me. Because I just remember in a later scene when Towler's down there as well, mm-hmm. and it was, she was in her black dress, and Mr. Selfridge was wearing a black suit, and the car was black. You mean black. Mr. LeClaire? Uh, no, it was Mr. S- I'm pretty sure Mr. I thought all three of them, well. No, they weren't. It was just her and him. Was it? Well, it was a black suit. I was only looking at the clothes. <laughs> Not me. I know. I only look at Monsieur Leclerc wow. and try to imagine what he looks like without his clothes. <laughs> uh, Am I right, ladies? <laughs> You're right. <laughs> uh, in any case, there. Uh, this is going to be the centerpiece of uh, a new window, I believe. Yes. He's going to do a new window. The And he did this at Marshall Fields in Chicago as well. The idea is that everybody will see the car. Uh, and apparently there's 36,000 registered drivers in London. They'll see the car, they'll come in, and they'll buy, you know, all of the motoring accessories that, right. he's, that he's stocking. So I don't think they're actually selling the car. I think the car itself is just for display purposes. Right. I mean, I'm sure if somebody came in and was like, you know, I'll take that car, he would sell it to them. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's just good business. <laughs> right. No, but he's showing it to Mr. Crab, and Mr. Crab is like, hey – uh, literally no one on earth is insured to drive this car. Uh, <laughs> yeah. so now that we've insu- introduced Chekhov's, uh, lack of an insurance policy. <laughs> right. I'm sure that car's not getting driven by the end of the episode. Yeah. Monsieur Leclerc comes in and scares the pants off Mr. Crab. <laughs> and- well, no, no, no. What scares the cr- pants off Mr. Crab is as he's looking at the hood, Mr. Selfridge honks the horn. Right. Yeah. And then Monsieur Leclerc comes and he's like, ha, 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 you silly English man. <laughs> which, which to be fair, he is. Yes. Uh, but you know, he's, he's also impressed by the car and he laments the fact that Miss Towler and her keen eye are no longer with Selfridges, mm-hmm. uh, causing Mr. Selfridge to be like, wait, what? <laughs> right. Because I guess he was so busy being a huckster that he forgot about the little people. <laughs> like, this just happened. Well, but. 
he knew that it happened, but he didn't think it was a firing offense. And so, and also, if you'll recall, he had a lot going on at that oh, moment. Oh, right, because yeah. she didn't see his wife <laughs> anywhere. Right. So some drunkard throwing up on the queen or whatever was going on is <laughs> <if> not. <laughs> Oh, Tom, the Queen's in the finale, I think. Oh, well, all right then. Full disclosure, that's not a spoiler because we don't even know. Yeah, we don't actually. We have we no have, clue what's going we on. We haven't seen the finale, so. Uh, anyway, so he's, he's, uh, disconcerted by Miss Towler's absence. Yes. We then see Miss Towler with Fat Thomas, Victor. We also keep wanting to call him Tony for some reason. Yeah. For literally no reason that we can well, think of. Well, because Tony is Lady May's first lover. Right, yeah. So maybe that's... Ah. <laughs> Still, he just looks like a Tony. <laughs> there should be a scene which is like, oh, your name is Tony now. <laughs> I name all my lovers Tony. It's just simpler. <laughs> I've got a lot on my plate. <laughs> yeah. Don't have time to learn a new name. Thank you. <laughs> um... <laughs> But that's memo to the cousin who suggested that we have a Lady May scale of Lady May's. Like you're not wrong, right? You're not wrong, but it is the Maggie Smith scale of Maggie Smith. Yeah, like it's it's tempting, but it's, we just can't gotta, do that. It's got to transcend the role and you know life as we know it. You right. know what I mean? Like right. it's just as great as Lady May is, she's still just right. head and shoulders below Maggie Smith. Right. No, no, no fault to her, but yeah. yeah, I mean, she's certainly of the sh- characters on this show. No question that oh, that would be the one. She's the closest to the scale. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, the the two of them are hanging out together. Agnes is glum at the fact that she has, you know, lost her job. Yeah, she's a business lady. Whereas Victor is quite excited, as now this means they can date. Because this- as we all know, dating Fat Thomas, <laughs> greater than sign a fulfilling career where you get to stand real close to Monsieur Leclerc. Oh, right. Uh, so he suggests that they go off to Brighton and she's like, what would we do there? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he's like, uh, you know, we'd like go out or whatever. And finally it's like, I'm, I'm trying to court you. Did you, did you not realize that? Initially, I was annoyed at how, like, abstruse she is, Mm -hmm. but now I just kind of like it. Yeah. Like, I don't know if it's autism spectrum or what, but she's just like, what, seriously? I just thought you were full of British cheekiness, like the artful dodger. (laughs) (laughs) Consider yourself more girl. Consider yourself part of the furniture. That's not what she wants. I'd do a limited number of things for you, (laughs) dear Limited number of things <laughs> for you mean a reasonable amount <laughs> to me. <laughs> it's uh, it's quite the love story, yes. She's like, would you fight my Leclerc? <laughs> Not no. that. No. <laughs> <laughs> Keep going. Um, yes, but, uh, you know, basically... Agnes has is not particularly excited to be courted by Fat Thomas, but it's pretty much the best thing she's got going at this yeah. point now that she's out of Selfridges. So. Because as she's told him, her dad has moved back in Yeah, because she has the worst landlady in the world. She does, yeah. I wonder if snitches get stitches in their neighborhood. Because, like, can't you just call the cops on somebody for, like, public intoxication? I don't... I mean, I haven't the slightest idea. I mean, I, I will say that... 
the the cops calling the cops in general doesn't seem to be like high on anyone's agenda ever. Yeah, I wonder what Even, the police force was like in those days. Yeah, I mean, we see it in this episode a, a couple times, but yeah. But I mean, if you think about like Mary Poppins as like your closest analog, mm-hmm. the constable seems pretty caught up with the upper class. You know, like the upper classes like all knew his name and stuff. Right. And- right. You know, he seemed to, like, think he needed to, like, help them with, like, their child rearing and stuff. So maybe that's just how it was. Yeah. It's like, somebody's drunk in this poor neighborhood. Yeah? So? <laughs> well, because they don't even call the cops when they find Harry, right? Or, or I'm uh, sorry, uh, they... Gordon. Oh, right. Like, in the next episode when yeah. he runs off. Like, yeah. Like, because his mom runs and she's like, we were worried sick. And I was like... Were you? <laughs> I think you were worried sick about things before. Right. But you don't seem like this was really ranking. I mean, look, we all hate Gordon. Right. We all. I'm going to start a club called the No Gordons Allowed Club. Because <laughs> I freaking hate him. We're we're not fans. Right. So her dad's back. Yeah. And she's like, and she's like trying. I don't know. It's hard for me to tell, though, if she does like him or not. Because I think she kind of does. I think I mean she doesn't hate him, but He's, and he and she but she does try to dissuade him by saying you know oh you know my dad's in my life and I have him and George like I'm not worth you pursuing and he's mm-hmm. like no 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 it's it's great we're gonna go to Brighton yeah she's like all right you know my father isn't hitting me in Brighton so there's that I feel like like I don't know it's just weird like no I feel like. People of opposite gender get to spend an awful lot of unsupervised time together in this world versus Downton Abbey. Yeah. Well, and again, I, mean, I don't know if it's a class thing. And I certainly think at least partly it is because who's going to stop Agnes from hanging out with a boy? Yeah. You know, drunky McGin. <laughs> <laughs> Georgie McDumdum. <laughs> no. Mrs. Payne. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, not for the right price. <laughs> no. Uh, so yeah, so that's what's happening at the store. The accessories team is uh, the uh, Kitty comes over to Miss Martle, and the a Duchess of something is asking for Agnes, and she doesn't know what to do. And she says, "Just tell her that she's no longer with us." And twice in the scene, somebody is like, "What do we do about the fact that she's not here anymore?" I'm like, "You say she left. What is?" is no, it's this very a- strange. Yeah, like. Well, I think because it's these two characters in particular, mm-hmm. it's like, should we give any detail or like, I don't know, but it is weird. It, it is odd. Yeah. We also see Monsieur Leclerc and Mr. Villius. They're looking over some new driving attire that they're putting out. Also, I just want to put a stop to something right now. All of you, Miss Revilius, Monsieur Leclerc Shippers, <laughs> that would never work. Well, that's true. Because they're both tops. <laughs> Although, I mean, you know, if he was, you know, he had it working with the uh, the French girl that's in New York now. I understand, but that's like. <sighs> well. I don't think they could work long term. No. Like they no. can work when one of them's in town for a couple weeks. <laughs> well, and I feel like very similar about Miss Revilius. I mean, like, and we learned in this episode that Miss Revilius also a much more complex character. Mm-hmm. I mean, we don't, we'd already been led to believe that she was right, a very complex right. character, but like you just find all of these like hidden depths. Mm-hmm. And I just, I like her character because they don't, 
invest a lot in her like we never see her outside the store mm-hmm. but both the performance and the writing on that character are really well executed yeah yeah um anyway but she also looks very similar to his french lady that lives in new york yeah that's true so i'm just saying hey shippers well but that's the thing the french lady in new york is willing because that's different because she's got the upper hand on monsieur leclerc there well that's true there's a different power imbalance well whereas yeah, and- in this situation they're equals, and right. I don't well, think, and I think that, that that... Right. I think that both of them, out of professional respect for each other, mm-hmm. would not want to get into a relationship. I agree. I agree. Uh, they, if they're not sure about that, they could just ask Miss Martle how that works out. That's a really good point. <laughs> but there is a, a new driving coat that is uh, long and attractive and miss revillius tells monsieur leclerc that it is also available in leather a lady in leather does that appeal mr leclerc and that's it but that's the thing like they both know like they've each got each other's number kind of right right in a way that i don't think he and the the french lady in new york yeah had each other's number yeah there was some mystery but i think he and miss revillius somehow are so very similar that they're just kind of laid bare to each other. Mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. know if anybody else has ever had that experience where you just meet somebody. <laughs> I'm like, oh, you're exactly like me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's be friends, but not not like friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so back at the Selfridge Estates, uh, which is just a building, Ellen uh, <laughs> uh, Love is attempting to storm the barriers. No? No, 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 not Ellen Love. Um, yeah, no, the no, other, no. the yeah. other bad news bear. Right, the other bad news bear, Roddy Temple. Oh God, is trying to storm the barriers. Alf, or, or, I just wanted to say Alfred. No, Fraser. Yeah, Fraser. Fraser is blocking the doorway and asking huffily if he has an appointment. But Roddy sees Rose. Rose <laughs> sees Rose behind him and shoves his way through, and Rose. You know, says, oh, I'm so sorry. I'd forgotten that you were coming to see me mm-hmm. right this way. Um, and he says, they, they withdraw to the sitting room. He says, I just came here to apologize. And here's, here's a life lesson for everybody. Nobody ever just comes to apologize. <laughs> ever. If you want to apologize, uh, you can give somebody a call. Yeah. Or write them a letter, mm-hmm. perhaps. Send if a you, text. Yeah. If all you want to do is Better apologize, yet, don't even like people don't eat like nobody makes it a point to apologize. Yeah, like even if they did write a letter just to apologize, like yeah. it's never just to apologize. Yeah, like nobody ever feels bad enough about anything. They <laughs> do. They're like, ah, oh, you know, I just want to apologize and then I'll be out of their life. For, like nobody you, says that, right? Especially not Roddy Temple. Especially not Roddy Temple. And especially Bob. <laughs> Uh, but he has brought along the portrait of her, and... That painting is the ugliest thing I have ever seen in my entire life. I was really surprised. Like, I honestly thought it would look better than that. Like, uh, could you not just get some kind of computer program to make <laughs> it look like a paint? Like, take a photograph, make it look like a painting. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was. Uh, it was really... Really disappointed. Like, I saw the other day this one artist who, like, does all these, like, photorealistic portraits using nothing but a bick. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Surely their art department could have done better. I, I really think so. But uh, I, to an extent, I feel like somebody in, involved liked the fact that it was ugly uh, just because it symbolizes such ugliness in their lives. It's probably that writer-creator who wears too much eyeliner. It probably is that guy. 
Rose says to him, to Roddy Temple, that she shouldn't have lied about who she was. And he says, no, you shouldn't. And I was like, fuck that. You absolutely should have lied about who you were. <laughs> you should have continued lying about who you were. You should have just told him you were sleeping with Mr. Self. <laughs> it would have produced the same result, and then you never would have had to see him again. Yeah. Although, Tony saw her anyway. Oh, so. that's true. Yeah. Anyway. Well, but I mean, not even... Like, you don't owe this idiot anything, Rose. Right. That is the most important thing mm-hmm. here. That he needs to shut his whiny baby mouth. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he does not. He, in fact, <laughs> he- forces his whiny baby mouth upon Rose. Yeah. Um, he, you know, insisting that, you know, Harry doesn't treat her right and he, you know, is going to treat her right, baby. He's going to show her a good time and (laughs) love her the way she should be loved. Yeah, he's like, your husband doesn't love you, not with his penis. (laughs) She's like, no, I have four children. (laughs) He loves me with his penis all the time. (laughs) Did you remember the first scene of this show that you saw me? He couldn't wait. It's very active. Of course, it may just have been because he didn't know where else to put it in that city yet. Oh, right. It's like, I've still got my contacts working on it. Yeah, yeah. But uh, in the meantime. (laughs) As he is forcing himself upon her, who should appear but... uh, Beatrice. Beatrice. The worst of the Selfridge actor children, I think. Fair enough. I think. That's... uh, uh, oh, maybe she's the one who said she'd die if she could meet Pavlova. Possibly. She, I think she was, because Violette has that list. Oh, she was the one with all the kisses, maybe? Yes. Yeah. Well, uh, well so case. then this is the perfect person to walk <laughs> in at this time. Yes, noted fan of kisses, Beatrice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, wanders into the room, thus causing them some consternation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she's like, who's this man? And like, you know, I can't, I don't like the performance, but I don't blame her for asking. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's a valid valid question. Uh, I was like, oh, uh, Roderick Temple, a uh, homewrecker by trade. You just <laughs> come by to, got, to get an estimate on destroying our family. <laughs> uh, so, yes. And he has to awkwardly leave. Yes. And not before asking Rose. No, he tries to, like, bang her. Like, oh right yeah! There, he's like, oh well, let's do this. And she's like, get out of here! Yeah, like this is the sitting room in the day. Like there's there's everyone is home, family member. Yeah, like they know I'm in here with you. Yeah, <laughs> like this isn't going to be a difficult mystery for them to solve. Yeah, uh, yeah. Oh, we just had to discuss our painting for a couple of hours. <laughs> we have very passionate feelings about art. <laughs> That's. A lie. Nobody does. <laughs> Nobody does. Uh, and I do have a note, though, about that child oh actor. Oh, my God. Is she, like, 47 years old? Possibly. And, and I just wanted to say, if anybody out there is looking to cast a horror movie, she definitely could play the child of Satan. Yeah. Like, easily. She reminded me of the girl in that movie Orphan, who it turned out actually was 47, but also possibly the devil. <laughs> right. So, like, yeah, sorry if you uh... haven't seen Orphan yet, but, like, you didn't want to see it anyway. Yeah. Um, no, but she's just, like, terrifying. She is, yeah. And and not meant to be. If she was meant to be, she'd be doing a great job. Yeah. Then we have a scene from, I believe, later that evening in the same house where uh, Gordon is playing with a toy car. Man, fuck you, Gordon. <laughs> I hate Gordon so much. Yeah. And I do, too. I think it's, uh, to be fair, largely irrational on our part. 
And I think he looks just like Chloe Grace Moritz. <laughs> I'm not entirely sure that Chloe Grace Moritz isn't actually playing that role <laughs> as part of some like elaborate stunt. It's uh, just the sort he of... He is the only one with a credible American accent. Yeah, that is true. That That is... He is solid on that front. Uh, and I also think... I just... I would love to see somebody do a bit of a supercut of child actors, quote, playing with crappy toys uh-huh. in movies and TV shows. Yeah. Because it's always like, okay, here you go. Here's this toy car. Play with it. Yeah. Like, as an adult actor, that would be a challenging mm-hmm. direction to follow. And as a kid, what are you supposed... Like, you can't make that convincing... That's not fun. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, Gordon's playing with his car and he's talking to Mr. Selfridge about the car that Mr. Selfridge is is going to display. Right. Then the girls run in like for no reason. Right. Again, they were like, hey, run in there. Yeah. Uh, So Beatrice has her hair up in rag curlers. This is the weirdest part, actually. Okay. Is that in several scenes in these two episodes, you see the girls with their hair up in rag curlers, Mm -hmm. but, like, their hair is not ever curly. Like, I think we see Rosalie with it, and that that could make sense. Yeah, yeah. She turns her hair up, so she might just be getting extra body. Mm Mm-hmm. But like Beatrice's hair is like stick straight. That's that's true. It doesn't actually yeah. curl. I mean, it's her and Violette who come out to play right, right. with Gordon and Mr. Sulphur. She does yeah. not think that they are worthy of cars. <laughs> um, but so Violette says, "I have a secret. I can't tell you because she's the devil." <laughs> right? What the shit, Beatrice? I thought we were cool. <laughs> um. So she's told him about the portrait, and we see him. He's found it and opened it, and he's he's looking at it. Right, and the, and then staring at his sleeping wife, and she wakes up and she's like, "What what's going on? Why are you wearing your angry suit? What's happening here?" <laughs> <sighs> he asks, you know, how did you meet this guy? Where did he paint you? And you know, because it is. Uh, even if he doesn't think anything went on, it's a bit of a scandalous thing for mm-hmm. her to have been you know, in this position. Yes. Her in particular, like, oh, she was just hanging out with this dude by herself? Right. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And this is the scene in which he says, you know I value you more than anything. I'm like, ooh, value is not the same thing as love. No. By any means. Mm -mm. Like, I appreciate that you value her a lot, but... Well, because, I mean, I would... Here's what I would say. You know, I love you the most, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I also value you the most... But sure. if I don't also love you the most, then it doesn't have any meaning. Right. Like, if that's if that's what you want, you know? Right, right. It's just like, you know, yeah, you barely beat out, you know, my new car as something I value. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. you know, you're just put, you're putting it on the same scale as all your possessions. I don't, is this the scene where he says that? It's where I wrote it down. Right, because she goes over and she's brushing her hair or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I don't know why I thought that was later. Well, no, but this has one of my favorite line readings on the part of Jeremy Piven where he's like, he caught you well. <laughs> and the subtext is clearly, did he put his dick in you? <laughs> uh, but he also says that he didn't realize that she missed painting and she says that she didn't either. And I only looked at this for like a half of a second because I, it's, I don't want to read too much about the actual history of these people. Right, right, right. It's, I don't know. I'll have to make a decision maybe like, you know, when we get to the finale, maybe we'll, 
you know, actually like looking at the history a bit more, but there right, is still right. season two. Yeah. And I would kind of like for there to be at least a bit of an element of surprise. Yeah. No, I, I feel much the same. But I did find out that from the age of 24 to 28, Rose Selfridge was living abroad in Europe. Oh, wow. Uh, I think, you know, as an artist. And wow. she didn't meet Mr. Selfridge until she was 28 years old. They didn't actually marry until she was 30. Wow. So I found that absolutely fascinating. Because yeah. Because that is definitely not a story that we're going to get from Downton Abbey. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, they don't really get into it here. Right, Because, I mean, it's right. not especially relevant. Yeah. But uh, I just, wow. Yeah. You know, I mean, she is a really cool lady. Yeah, yeah. Like, just the fact that she made it to 28 without <laughs> A, getting married, or B, getting impregnated by anybody. Yeah. Like, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. And she was living in Europe. She probably wasn't a virgin when he married her. You know, not tr- not trying to cast any aspersions, but we're all adults. <laughs> he liked how she had virtue or whatever. <laughs> Oh, but she asks him where he's going so early in his angry suit. Right, right. Uh, it turns out he has his angry suit on for another reason. <laughs> yeah. Not just confronting his wife about the ugly painting that she is now <laughs> foisting off on him as a gift. Right. Like, worst gift ever. <laughs> uh, he's going down, you know, to the docks or whatever. <laughs> right. Uh, to go see about Miss Towler. Yeah. He's, he's going to her place. Mm-hmm. You know, not... Not his sort of place, but as... No, but, you know, I mean, he, he came from a, a hard scrabble childhood, yeah. so he actually fits in relative... Like, everybody can see that he is, uh, you know, a, a, uh, a, a swell. swell. Yes. Uh, but, yeah, because he comes in and Mrs. Payne is like, no gentleman callers. <laughs> <laughs> and he just hands her some money and she's like, wait there. Yeah. And I... I have to say, I enjoy Mrs. Payne. I wouldn't want to live there. No, no, no. I enjoy but her performance. Because she doesn't give the single solitariest of fucks yeah. about anything. She's like, yeah, I'm a terrible landlady. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So uh, she comes up and informs Agnes that there is, in fact, a swell down in the parlor. Mm-hmm. So she goes down there and sees that it's Mr. Selfridge. And, you know, he's like, come back to work. And she's like, but my drunk dad. And he's like, hey, now, he's not you. Which is actually a pretty revolutionary attitude for the time, as we see in in later scenes. But, I mean, and we see it even in Downton Abbey, you Mm -hmm. know, because, you know, for Mary to have lost her virtue reflects really badly on both of her parents. Right, right. And her sisters. Yeah. I mean, just, you know, everything's so dependent on reputation. Yeah. And as Mr. Krabs said, you know, in London, reputation is everything. Right. Um, but, you know, uh, Mr. Selfridge is, is trying to Americanize in his own small way. And he's like, you know, you're talented. This is where he says you're, you're just like me. You're keen as mustard to learn. Yeah. And, uh, it's just, it's funny because I don't think his performance is nuanced enough for us to actually see that that's genuinely true. Or I don't, just, she has such a different energy than well, him. That's certainly true. And I mean, well, I'm not saying they yeah, don't yeah. believe it, but it's just, it's different. Yeah. Yeah, it's a very, and it's a very like moving scene, you know, largely because of, of Agnes mm-hmm. and just her, and because then she says that, you know, she's, that she's stuck with her father and she can't get rid of him mm-hmm. and she's tried and tried and he keeps finding his way back. And, you know, and she's, she's tearing up about it mm-hmm. and he hands her his, his handkerchief and is like, is he here now? Mm-hmm. And she's like, yeah, it's like, I'll talk to him. 
oh my god <laughs> and then see here again is where jeremy piven casting jeremy piven i think really pays off mm-hmm. i mean it's a shame that he can only kind of hit it in these fits and starts yeah yeah but like when he is playing the side of harry that gets full of rage and just yeah i mean it's it's a very affecting scene because mm-hmm. he goes in and and they're well matched actually yeah. reg towler and uh mr selfridge in this scene mm-hmm. so he goes in and he he's saying okay listen you need to get the shit out of here leave your daughter alone if i ever see you again you know why i oughta <laughs> right um unspecified consequences so reg towler then like because mr selfridge puts down a bunch of banknotes which look really flimsy yeah i mean i I, don't understand what kind of currency that is i well i you know i certainly assume it's historically accurate and i think it may have been you know essentially uh personal checks because i understand it that was at various times maybe not this one most of your transactions were you just had a bunch of checks drawn on a specific bank yeah rather than you know paper money yeah and I mean that looks consistent, like that, like that kind of thing. Yeah. But so then Reg Towler gets up in his face and he says, "Oh, you've taken a shine to my Aggie." Yeah. Tell me, has she offered herself to you? And Mister Selfridge loses his shit, man. Yeah. He goes nuts on him. Yeah. He like chokes him. He's like got him pinned to the table. Yeah. And he's like, like he picks him up and throws him down onto the table. Uh-huh. Essentially, like it's, yeah. Well, and again, I I just think it's a testament to the very complex sexual politics of this show. Yeah. Because well, I was I was actually just going to say in in the previous scene that it's so it's really impressive to see him have all these professional relationships with women, mm-hmm. women that are not sexual at all and are not going to be yeah. it's not on Blank the table. Blankensop. <laughs> right. You know, despite the fact that he is, you know, very sexual and does have inappropriate relationships, but he, when it's, when it's business, mm-hmm. you know, with, with most people, he's. No, and I, I like that he's not infallible. Yeah. But I mean, that he does have the ability to create these boundaries. Yeah. And, and, you know, respect women enough to, to treat them as equals. Right. And I just, I think it's nice because in a lot of shows, if someone's a philanderer, they're all almost always depicted as as being lascivious about it mm-hmm. and like that they can't control it. Right. Um you know, kind of the way cuz like this show depicts Tony kind of that way, but at the same time like it's just that he's a terrible person. Yeah. Like I mean, you know, and I yeah. you know, I don't know what he gets up to sexually apart from Lady May if anything. Right, I right. Mean, I'm sure he's not fucking around on Lady May. No. Like she would literally have him killed. Yeah. But, like, Lady May, like, she also, you know, I think Lady May is very deliberate about her sexuality. Yeah. You know, I yeah. think, you know, she's got this one lover and she's like, okay. Yeah. yeah I'm I mean, done she's, with you. Now I'm moving on to a new one. Right. She's very practical about it. She wants, you know, she wants what she wants on her own terms and, you know, we'll just find the people that can give that to her. Mm-hmm. And if it's not giving her what she wants, then she's she's out. Yep. But, uh no, so I, I just think that it... You know, I think, you know, this is a scene the first time that I watched it, like him going and talking to her mm-hmm. in the parlor. I'm crying. I'm yeah. crying when he's beating the shit out of Reg Towler. Yeah. Because it just, you know, it's just really nice to see a man on television really stick up for a woman that he's not even having sex with. Right. And, and that the idea yeah. that he would be like that his assistance to her might be contingent on a sexual transaction 
throws him into this kind of rage. Yeah. It's just nice to see yeah. somebody with some GD integrity. Yeah. Yeah. Sadly, after this great scene, uh, we then have the least successful uh, sort of part of this episode uh, that's distributed out through the rest of the episode, but it's flashbacks, which... Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, and here... Uh, yeah. I mean, this is where you really do see that this is kind of a cut rate... Yeah. You know, situation here. they're not good. I mean, they're A, you know, A, they're a bad idea. Yeah. B... Ugh, they're not executed well. <laughs> well, they're all of his father, and they're all in these vague... Sun- like, is this a Steven Spielberg movie? Oh. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's... And by the way, the person playing his father... Oh, my God. ...has one of my favorite American accents, and by favorite, I mean worst, uh-huh. on the whole show. But it... it, it <laughs> I, enjoy, I enjoy it. It made me want to go see a Tennessee Williams play in London. <laughs> like, that's what it made me want to do. Well, it's interesting because, you know, his dad seems to have this, like, re- like really thick southern accent. Yeah. Uh but I think they show him in a union uniform, I mean, well, he was which de- doesn't even really mean anything. Well, but like, they, I mean, but they were definitely north. I mean, he yeah. was, you know, born and raised in in the north. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's just their attempt to make it sound rural mm-hmm. uh, or just lower class. But it's not super effective. Well, it's just like it doesn't really explain what happened. Like, yeah. like, you know, this kid's like, oh, you know, your dad's no war hero and he ain't dead either. And like, right. It's just all very vague and, and just kind of like upsetting. And he seems yeah. to be having some sort of like, you know, panic attack as a result. Mm-hmm. But then he's fine. Yeah. I mean, I will say, you know, we do, you know, the fact that we know he has issues with his father is, a you know, an important part of the underlying uh, uh, character, character, and this scene in particular. Mm-hmm. You know, our knowledge of that fact changes the 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 scene in, yes. a, in a good way. But so maybe just leave it at that and not give us these weird yeah, flashbacks. Like, why couldn't he have just said, you know, I had you know to Agnes, like you know, my father was not so different from your father. Yeah. And, you know, he made or or just just have him show him having his you know, melodramatic and kind of weird, uh, you know, reaction. But just showing, like, having the, once he's out of that room, you know, sort of like having a uh, aftershock reaction mm-hmm. to it. You know, because like I say, we do know that he's got an issue with his father and we could understand how that might have triggered that mm-hmm. and then just leave it at that. But they needed to spell it out for us. Yeah, they in did. In painful, gauzy detail. <laughs> yes. So then, having dispatched... Reggie Towler to the land of wind and ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> Good riddance, because he did make me very uncomfortable. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mr. Selfridge gives Agnes a ride back to the store in uh, a fancy car. Not the fancy car, I don't believe. No, no, no. The this fancy is a, car is still in the basement. Yes. But she is, you know, like, looking out the window excitedly. Well, I think uh, it's at, her first car ride. Yeah. No, I think that that was because he asks, you know, like, how she liked it. And she says, it feels like we were flying. Mm-hmm. And he says, who knows, someday you may do that too, Mm -hmm. which is great. And then he tells her as she's going in, don't apologize, don't explain. As a tactic, it's always worked for me. (sighs) I just wrote that down in its entirety. Like, I just think it's amazing. Yeah, like... No, and it's just like, there's so much mutual respect between them. Like, 
it's just really, really cool to watch. Mm-hmm. Well, it's just sort of, because, you know, when you think about what he did for her in the first episode, both in the sense of getting her fired and then hiring her at his store. Right. You know, it's, you know, it's just so rare that gestures like that actually pay off. Yeah, yeah. No, he he took a random chance on this, this you know, random shop girl, and mm-hmm. it, it's working out for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also like to note as she goes in, there is a uniformed man stationed at the door, presumably to keep out gin-soaked bums. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe they only installed them. Well, yeah, that's true. After the gin-soaked <laughs> bum got in. <laughs> They're like, shit, we really need some people on gin-soaked bum duty. <laughs> can't believe this escaped our notice. This is Oxford Street. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ancestral home of the gin soaked bum. <laughs> Our crest is beefy to bottle. <laughs> um, our motto is just the sound of vomiting. <laughs> Except not. Vomit is disgusting. No, it, it is. It is. Uh, but in the blissfully gin-soaked bum-free store, Agnes does, in fact, just walk up to accessories and announce that she has returned. Uh, and, you know, Miss Marla at first is like, that can't be. And she says that it is. And she says, well, I'll have to check with Mr. Grove, of course, but go ahead and get started. Mm-hmm. Like, she's like, all right, then. And uh, Monsieur Leclerc is in the vicinity, you know, folding some accessories or whatever. And uh, he's a very French reaction. Yes, he he's is. Like, uh, oh. <laughs> he is. He is pleased. He's quite pleased. And Agnes starts folding accessories next to him and is also quite pleased. Everybody's so happy. Yes. Shippers, start <laughs> your engines. Yes. It has at this point presumably been about an hour since Mr. Selford showed up at her door, and I'm. confident that she has not thought of Victor one time in this whole time. Yeah. Yeah. No way. So, suck it, Victor. Speaking of... This is... This is where he's peering through the Yes. Portal. Okay. I yeah. knew it was him yeah. peering through something. Because all I wrote down is, doesn't Fat Thomas have a job? <laughs> well, yeah, but no rich ladies needed sexing at that exact <laughs> moment, so... He, um, he's, he's still observing, you know, the, the theft that is happening. The, uh, the fiddle that they're running. Oh, is that a, is that a thing? Yeah. Like a, a scam is mm. a, a fiddle. Interesting. Yeah. Like the Pied Piper of thieving. <laughs> uh, yeah. So he just is watching them do that. Is yeah. that all that happens there? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so the next scene is one of the best scenes ever. Yeah. Like, not just in this show, mm-hmm. just in general. So Ellen Love rolls up to the Selfridge residence and announces Miss Ellen Love to see Mrs. Selfridge. Yeah. Now, this does not raise Fraser's hackles. No, it doesn't. I mean, well, a lady coming to see another lady. Well, right. That's right. not unusual. Yeah. So she's shown into the sitting room and Mrs. Selfridge comes in and is very polite and asks if she'd like some coffee. And uh, Miss Love says, no, this is not a social call, I'm afraid. And Rose says, oh, you know, what a shame. And she's just, yeah, what, you know, she's chill. Yeah. She's, she's cool. She is sitting down. Miss Love has not taken a seat. 
So Miss Love announces that she is having an affair with Harry. Uh, and she is just informing Mrs. Selfridge of this fact. Yes. And instead of actually reacting to this, Mrs. Selfridge just says, Oh, well, I think I'll have some anyway. <laughs> and rings the bell to get a cup of coffee. And yeah. like, this is the second time, and the first being her conversation with Lady May, where our jaws just hit the damn ground. Yeah. We were like, what a badass. Yeah. That well, I mean, it was just... She just... She doesn't even react. Yeah. At all. Yeah. There is no reaction. Yeah. And, like, at that moment, she's already won the conversation. Mm-hmm. You know, like, she... Like, it's clear at that point. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because it's like, what are you... What are you yeah. going to do, Ellen Love? Yeah. Uh, and the answer, as always, with Ellen Love is try much too hard for much too long to save something that can't be saved. Yeah. But it's just a phenomenal scene because I really, really like the actress who plays Ellen Love. I do not like Ellen Love. And it's a testament to the actress who in like the post-Selfridge sort of actor and crew interviews that they do seems just delightful and she's very yeah. like she's like the anti jeremy piven in these interviews <laughs> oh god you know she's she's very intelligent about her character but like yeah. the difference between her as a person and ellen love mm-hmm. like the costuming and the hair has something to do with sure. it but it's primarily the performance yeah. i mean it's just incredible yeah she, it, it, you know it's one of the few transformative performances Mm-hmm. on television right now i think yeah you know there's not a whole lot of that going on yeah that's true um anyway so ah uh, <laughs> yeah rose tightens the thumb screws because mm-hmm. you know she's like well he you know he's with me and blah blah, blah. did you know that we you know we have this apartment and like blah 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 and rose says you know okay she's like first of all you're not special. <laughs> You're one in a long line of chorus girls. And, you know, Ellen Love right. takes umbrage at that. And she says, oh, well, that may be a mistake on my husband's part <laughs> that you're not a chorus girl. Like, yeah. Oh, he might have just, you know. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, well, usually, but yeah. I'll make an exception this one time. <laughs> but then she's like, but the fact that you're here telling me about it, that is interest. That is of interest. Yes. Because that means that it is almost certainly over. Mm-hmm. And Ellen Love cannot handle the truth bomb. Yeah. That just got laid on her. Yeah. And she's like totally speechless. And Fraser shows up at the door. And, yep. you know, Mrs. Selfridge is like, oh, Miss Love was just leaving and I'll have a cup of coffee, please. Yeah. And that's it. Yep. And it is the bomb yeah and i think i I turned to you and said when we watched it i was like you know i know that this scene doesn't pass the bechdel test (laughs) but it does pass the bechdel test like not in anything that they're actually saying yeah but like it's so clearly like them like they are harry is beside the point in this conversation yeah despite the fact that he's all they're talking about right right It's, it's hard for me to explain but it's just so about these two women who well, dislike each other, wanting to settle this score. They're just both uh, two, you know, very good actors in a well-written scene that are just so intensely present in mm-hmm. that room in that scene. Mm-hmm. That's very, very nice. So good. Oh! Because then, mm-hmm. oh my God. So as Fraser is leading Miss Love back to, you know, the whore cab that she wrote <laughs> in on... <laughs> Uh, Lois, aka Grandma Selfridge, like, sees that Miss Love is leaving and she's like, hold up. Yeah. What? Uh, so then she goes over to the sitting room where Rose still is and, like, 
the second that Miss Love is out of mm-hmm. seeing her, she has just crumpled. And yeah. you just see, like, the strain of the years of dealing mm-hmm. with Harry's dalliances and the fact that this is, like, the 80th time she has had to do this. Mm-hmm. Because, oh, God, because she says to her, uh, I forget what Ellen says, but she's like, oh, you've got it bad for him. Yeah. Because that's the yeah. thing. For at least the first 25% of that conversation, she is not unsympathetic to Ellen Love. Yeah. She yeah. is not unnecessarily cruel until Ellen Love decides to be a bitch about it. Right. But she's just like, oh, she's like, yeah, I've seen this before. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it's just devastating. And Lois sees, you know, we've just seen her crumple. But then when Lois sees her, all we see is her back and she's just like racked with sobs. Yeah. Yeah. And it is just one of the best things ever. And Frances O'Connor most definitely needs to be nominated for an Emmy. Well, good luck with that. I have no influence whatsoever. (laughs) Cousins. Are you an Emmy voter? Do you know someone who is an Emmy voter? If so, we want you to tell them to vote for Francis O'Connor. Yes. We're, we're willing to talk bribes. We, we don't have that much money. No, but, but uh, we do have this podcast. Right. We could, uh, we could give you some free promotion for whatever bullshit live you live. <laughs> um, I don't know why I'm so rude to this fictional person. I don't, I don't know. Don't Tom. It's really uncharacteristic of you. Yeah, that's true. Usually very polite to hypothetical people. Mm-hmm. I'm usually very hypothetical to real people, so I guess there's just no accounting for taste. <laughs> uh, then we have a scene back at the uh, the loading dock area where Fat Thomas comes up to George, and I forget exactly what he's... He manhandles him. Yeah. He pulls him out of the room. Mm-hmm. No, 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 wait. We skipped a scene because there's the scene where Mr. Grove goes upstairs and asks Mr. Selfridge... Is that – I thought that was later. I don't think so. No, right, because it's part of the yeah. – Okay, sorry. So there was a scene where uh, Mr. Grove comes up and he asks Blankensop <laughs> how Mr. Selfridge's mood is. Yeah. And he's like – he heard his – he's like, my mood's fine. Come on in. <laughs> yeah. So Mr. Grove informs him that he's been tipped off by uh, Victor Caliano, who I keep wanting to call Tony Caliano. Uh, it's – uh, so he says that he's been tipped off by the waiter in the palm court that there is uh, some some fiddling yeah. happening down in the loading dock. And Mr. Selfridge, he's just like, what the hell is wrong with these people? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, people steal all the time, Mr. Yeah. Selfridge. Which I think, Since you know. Since time immemorial. He's I think th- in America they're just better at covering their tracks. I mean, I think – what I think is that – it's part of the secret of his success that he refuses to ever accept it and he always gets outraged and takes it personally every time, mm-hmm. you know? Like, he's been in the business long enough. He has to know that people are constantly stealing. Mm-hmm. But it's, you know... But if he does get that angry, then it makes the people who aren't stealing feel much better about their choice not to steal. Yeah, yeah. Like, it gives them much more pride in it, I think. Yeah, yeah. Regardless, he tells, you know, he's like, you know, let's get him out of here. Yeah. Like, we're done with these people. And then he's like, oh, and by the way... Uh, Agnes Keller's back on the payroll, which is interesting because, like, she told Miss Blank, uh, Miss Martle that right. she was still on the payroll. Right. But so then she was like, I'm still employed by Selfridges. I mean, by Mr. Self. Like, it was a weird exchange. It was, yeah. But, but I mean, anyway, so Mr. Grove's like, I can't just let her be back on staff. Like, nobody's going to understand that. And Mr. Selfridge is like, uh, well, then fine. I'll explain it to everybody. Like, what do you want? Yeah. So, 
Uh, then we go down back to the, the loading dock. Right. Then we see a shot of Victor running down the stairs. Uh-huh. Um, Surprisingly quick for such a fat, fat Thomas. <laughs> he's not even fat. We know he's not fat, everyone. We just like to call him Fat Thomas. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so he runs into the loading dock where George is blissfully stealing. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, just blissfully loading a special delivery. Yes. And uh, pulls him out of there um, and pulls him through the door that he's been spying on him from and, you know, just holds him against the wall. And they then see that a bunch of cops and uh, management have Mr. come. Mr. Grove is the one. Yeah. Yeah. He actually uses this phrase out on your ear. Yeah. Which is what Mr. Selfridge told him to do, so. Yep, he is, he is a, as a second in command, he has certain good qualities. Yes, he is a literalist. Yes. Fat Thomas is like, uh, George, you know, you, you know, this is what was happening and he, George is, you know, stunned. Mm-hmm. And he says, uh, but you know, Alfie was my friend. And Fat Thomas says, well, maybe we could be friends now. And I'm thinking, you know, Agnes is clearly not going to end up with you, Fat Thomas. Maybe you couldn't, you and George could be like a couple, like not in a sexual way, but like yeah, Bert like and a, Ernie. Like, yeah, whatever the, the male equivalent of a Boston marriage is. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. They just live together and they both work at Selfridges and yeah. they like go out for tea. <laughs> yeah. Like, whatever. No, I think. No, I think, he could come in and do grunt work at your restaurant when you open it and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So. But uh, it is cut short because he, you know, he tells George, is like, do you want to get fired after Agnes has lost her job? <gasps> and George is like, oh, she's back. Yeah. I love how no one communicates on this show. <laughs> yeah. Well, nobody communicates to Fat Thomas specifically. Well, that's because nobody likes him. He's the most boring person ever. I know. Also, he looks like Fat Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of Agnes being back at work, <laughs> wink, wink, nudge, nudge. <laughs> yes. Uh, we cut to her and Mr. LeClaire down in the self cave. <laughs> yeah. And they're, they're, you know, both looking at the car. They're getting inspired. He says he wants to put a whole family in it. And I'm like, I want you to put everything in, <laughs> in me, Mr. LeClaire. Yeah. I don't care if they're wearing scarves or pinafores or I just want, he's so attractive. He is. I can't, oh, he's so attractive. Yeah. And this this is the scene in which I may have been colorblind, but I wrote just wrote down everything in that scene looks good. Mm-hmm. Agnes, Monsieur Leclerc, mm-hmm. the car. You know, there's nothing else in the scene. It's completely no. Deserved. I want to buy the car based on this scene. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and all the trimmings. <laughs> but you know, they they are they're very happy to be back working with each other. Yeah, uh, and it's just like adorbs. Yeah. Uh, then we have a scene that we, we think is at the restaurant, the, the Palm Court, uh, where Mr. Selfridge runs into Lady May along with Tony Travers. Uh, you know, they have a brief exchange. He's like, you know, Lady May, such a pleasure to see you. Tony Travers walks away. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, look, come on. Tony Travers is the worst. Yeah. He's terrible. Yeah, he is. Uh, and he's he, a bad person with an evil heart. Yeah. So, um, Lady May is simply asking after, you know, the fa- they're yeah. just making small talk. You know, right, she's right, right. sort of one of his backers. This is just the sort of like bullshit conversation that you have with somebody that yeah. you don't really like, but you yeah, get yeah. thrown together constantly. Yeah. So uh, Tony Travers starts talking smack mm-hmm. about Rose uh, about Rose and Roddy Temple, and he's saying, "Oh, you know, he's a very bohemian sort. I I can't believe you let her go down to." The arts 
artist club or, or something? it was like the, the chelsea arts club maybe yeah yeah, yeah. And, it's very racy. Yes. And Mr. Selfridge was not aware uh, that his wife had been in this racy place. Yeah. Lady May, however. Yeah. Lady motherfucking May <laughs> just says, oh, Tony, you are so behind the times. And, you know, spins this whole story, which may or may not be bullshit. Right. That's the beauty of it is because there's no – there's not a second of hesitation of her thinking up. Mm-mm. How so to like, cover ever this since moment? Since the Countess of something started going, anyone who's anyone wants to be seen there. Yes, you know, and it, and and you know, she's implying that it's been sold out, which it kind of has. Like yeah, honestly, yeah. come on, Roddy Temple. <laughs> she manages to kind of like neutralize him, and Mister Selfridge like goes off, right? And she tells Tony as they walk to their table, "If you're going to do something like that." Tell me first. Mm -hmm. Because she could have, you know, orchestrated that beautifully if she wanted to. Yeah. But I, A, I don't think she would have let him do that because I think she likes Rose. Right. I don't think, I don't think that they really like each other, but I think that they respect each other to a certain degree. Yeah. Well, she just wanted him to tell her first so that she could say, no, you can't do that. And he says, uh, oh, I'm not even allowed to think for myself anymore. And she says, that is not the point of view. <laughs> yeah. In fact, I'm not entirely sure what the point of view is anymore. Yeah. And so he's like, fine, I'm leaving. We're done. So he stalks off in the... I think that the cinematography on this show relies way too heavily on the use of mirrors. Well, yeah. However, it's her looking at her compact... And Fat Thomas in the background. <laughs> yeah. And she's clearly, you know, I mean, she's been building to this for a while. She's like, yeah. well, Tony's, uh, you know, a bit too much of a loose cannon. So I'm, I'm in the market for a new, uh, uh, a new cook slash vagina tender. <laughs> Caretaker. Caretaker. Um. That sounds much better. <laughs> Uh, then we see uh, Mr. Selfridge's office where the portrait is being hung in his office. It is the ugliest portrait. Right across from his desk. Babe, he- I just want you to know that no matter what you ever do <laughs> in the course of this marriage, I will never, ever get a horrible revenge painting done and hang it where you have to look at it. Yeah. I, f- I mean, I feel like it's going to destroy the store. I feel like he's <laughs> he's going to be looking at that every single day. Beatrice, the devil child, imbued it with, like, right. satanic like, qualities. Yeah, he just starts making worse and worse decisions because he's distracted by the painting. And finally, like, the store ends up burning down. And the only undamaged <laughs> thing in the rubble is that painting. <laughs> it's like a Twilight Zone episode. <laughs> Blankensop, though. Yeah. Uh, Blankensop is like, oh, what an interesting picture of your wife. <laughs> and we agree. Yes. In the sense that Blankensop clearly does not like that painting. Yes. Interesting is what you say when you're too polite to say you hate it, but you want the message to get through. Yes. <laughs> it's a very British thing of her to do. Yeah. So up on the sales floor at Selfridge's, uh, Victor is uh, attempting to, you know, wrest control of Agnes Taller back uh, and, you know, wants her to, like, go off and do something. And she's like, uh, but we're having a meeting. And she's like, they won't miss you. And she's like, what? I have to be at the meeting. You also, know- the meeting is all like that was what I was like. I was like, oh, my God, Agnes, don't go. The meeting is all about you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like if she wasn't at that meeting. Yeah. Well, Mr. Grove would certainly have cause they, they, to. They would have missed her. They would have missed her. And then she would have lost her job yeah. for not being there. Yeah. Yeah. Which, uh, you know, uh, 
Victor may or may not have been at least subconsciously aware of that. You know, he he doesn't particularly want her to keep her job. No, he doesn't. Know, he wants so. her to marry him. Yeah. Well, and, and they can't he's even, got, you know, they can't even date no, if they're he's, both working No, there. he's got a bit of like the, this like ineffective, like savior complex going on. Yeah. But it's like, no, it's like the thing where it's like, oh, well, she could hardly do worse kind of thing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, it's very mm-hmm. disingenuous. I yeah. Think. Yeah. Uh, also, he's very boring. Right. But no, cause he's like, oh, well, we could, you know, we could date in secret and he kisses her and I'm like, don't kiss her there. That's yeah. not in secret. <laughs> yeah. So they go and they all listen to Mr. Selfridge blow hard for a while yeah. about, you know, not stealing. Uh, he does say honest endeavor together, which I really like yeah. as just sort of a, a baseline management technique. I'm like, yeah. yeah. Like everybody wants to do well. Everybody wants to make an honest effort. I yeah. Think. Well, and it worked out well because the point of the meeting was to explain why Agnes was back. Mm-hmm. But thanks to that other theming that was going on, it, it helped out that he'd lead off with, uh-huh. listen – this is there are things that you cannot do and this is not a lenient thing i'm doing with agnes because i'm still you know yeah he's anti-stealing yeah pro good workers yeah and he's well and again he's just reiterating the point that he made you know he's doing it more elegantly than when uh miss bunting was was sacked but he's Mm -hmm. just like if you're having problems Please come talk to me. He's like, don't ever be ashamed. Yeah. You know, he talks about his rise from errand boy, you know, to stock boy, yeah. to, to management. And like, it's just, it's that I really did enjoy. I yeah. really liked yeah. this scene. Yeah, I did too. And, you know, uh, Miss Teller is at the meeting standing next to Monsieur Leclerc mm. and Kitty uh bitch that she is is sitting next to victor and she leans over and she's like oh they make a great couple don't you think <laughs> and he storms out because earlier i think lady may told him to come by i think it was the scene after tony stormed out yeah she yeah was just like it's my cook's night off yeah yeah come and and make me dinner yeah and he doesn't really respond but. yeah well and he also he also told her at that point that he wanted to open his own restaurant mm-hmm. um yeah right because she wanted to know if he had any ambitions right uh, but yeah, it's a nice meeting. And he, he does explain that, uh, you know, Agnes, he's not punishing Agnes for her, what her father did, and he would do the same for anyone else in the same circumstances. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, his, his speeches are, uh, you know, he does, he does well with that. Mm-hmm. So back at the Selfridge's house, uh, they're discussing the upcoming, it's not clear how far away, upcoming presentation of Rosalie, and they're looking through dresses. Uh, I guess, I think they say everyone wears a wig, I believe. Or th- they said something. Wears the... white. White. Okay. Yeah. A wig. Well, I thought it was weird, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> I just, you know, I just sort of imagine being like, I don't know, like extensions or something. Just something random. Uh, anyway. Yeah, everyone wears white, um, and they're just, you know, excited. Well, over and in, it. it's in this scene. I think we might be doing this out of order somehow, but like, Mr. Selfridge just sent 40 white roses to mrs selfridge right and you know yeah, he by, did that as by to- way of apology and acknowledgement that she really fucked him on that page <laughs> yeah uh but he's like you know it's like you know my darling rose i love only you and you're like that's clearly not true right i mean but just you know not an it's, it's a nicer thing to say than i value you for sure <laughs> well yeah but it's just oh yeah it's gross too many roses too many roses and Rosalie says that she hopes that one day she marries a man who's as wonderful as Pa, <laughs> which is why I really think that parents don't need to like hide their. I mean, like you don't want to fight in front of your kids, right? But like, also, it's like Ugh, I don't think parents should be like demigods. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
so back at Lady May's house, uh, we see Fat Thomas coming up to the door. And he comes in and she says, oh, I'd almost given up on you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's, you know, decided after, you know, both Mr. LeClaire, because he, oh, God, he said to Agnes, he's like, that man snaps his fingers and you come running. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, he's effing gorgeous. Yeah. And he's a genius. He snaps his fingers, everybody comes yeah, running. Yeah, <laughs> amazing. So he has decided that since Agnes is clearly, you know, interested in like having a life that doesn't involve him telling her what to do, mm-hmm. he's going to go off to Lady May's and cook her dinner. Uh, some kind of Cornish hen. It's a, uh, yeah, it's a, or I think it was a quail. It was a quail, a, yeah, yeah, a quail. Because she says, you brought a something quail into my sitting room? Yeah. There hasn't been a game bird in the sitting room since the Crimean War. <laughs> so he's there to make her dinner and, uh, you know, double down on this whole gigolo thing so yeah uh that is the instant that he becomes interesting <laughs> yes he does not become interesting until the moment that he decides that he's gonna take her up on this yeah so yeah so then we cut back to selfridges where miss taller is attempting to put this scarf on a mannequin mm-hmm. uh but then mr leclerc comes in and he puts the scarf on miss taller and he's like uh yeah you work really hard have this scarf on me uh, and it's really, he tells her that she should wear more color and it's just very cute. Like, and, yeah. and she's like, oh, I can't accept this scarf. And he's like, no, 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 I'll pay for it tomorrow. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, I'll pay for you tomorrow. <laughs> uh, but she's very happy about that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's pretty, pretty exciting. I know. She's doing well. Mm-hmm. I'm just so happy for her. Me too. So then back at the Selfridges, dumb Gordon is playing with his dumb car. God, I hate him. And Rose is reading to, I believe, Beatrice. I always forget which one is yeah, which. Yeah, Beatrice um, is the devil child. <laughs> yes. Violette is the one with the lisp. Okay. Who grows up to be like a cool person. Right. And then Rosalie is Kirsten Dunst. Yes. <laughs> and Gordon is Chloe Grace Moritz. So just right. so everybody's got their Selfridge kid primer. Make a note. Uh, and Rose is reading to Beatrice, uh, and the book she is reading is actually uh, Children of the New Forest by Captain Marriott. Captain Marriott uh, was, in fact, a naval officer. He fought in the Napoleonic Wars and ended up writing a semi-autobiographical novel called Mr. Midshipman Easy, which was sort of the founding novel of the, the sea story. So later, you know, the Horatio Hornblower, or, uh, the Patrick O'Brien Master and Commander books, you know, that was... The original of all those, and his other famous book was this children's book, Children of the New Forest, which is about uh, some children during the English Civil War. You don't say. Right. Hiding in the forest from the evil roundheads. And this is something that I would just like to address to Britain for a moment, that the thing that drives me nuts about Britain is this persistent tendency to portray the Cavaliers, King Charles's side, as the good guys in the English Civil War, and the Roundheads, Oliver Cromwell's side, as the bad guys, despite the fact that every single principle that the Roundheads fought for is now accepted practice, and every principle King Charles was fighting for is an outdated relic of the Dark Ages. Uh, you know, Tom, he was a monarch. I... <laughs> And thus had the divine right of kings. But he didn't. Uh, <laughs> I'm pretty sure he did. Anyway. I was talking to God literally the other day. <laughs> and he was like, hey, 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 remember how Charles first had the divine right of kings? And I was like, go get me a sandwich, God. And he did. It was actually kind of cool. Oh, that's nice. You're not even a king. I know. Uh, so anyway, that's that's my I just complaint. have the divine right of sandwich. <laughs> 
Which is, of course, where the name Earl of Sandwich came from. Listen, I don't want to bore you with all this pedantry. Let's get back to the episode. (laughs) Back to the episode, yes. So Harry comes in to where Rose is reading and uh, says, hey, uh, you know, I hope you like the roses. I'm in every word of that note. And Beatrice... That was only like 10 words. I I know, but he meant all 10 of them. And uh, Beatrice says, oh, mommy, you're blushing. Not as red as when that painter man kissed you, or as red as you'll be when you're burning in the fires of hell. <laughs> and you'll all burn. <laughs> all of you. And then she just starts speaking in like backwards talk, and Mia Farrow comes in and she's like, her eyes! What have you done to her eyes? Yeah, they're, they're kind of weird and, you know, yeah, I'm not, not thrilled with her eyes. Anyway. <laughs> No, I mean, it's fine. No, I, I was just actually struck by her. She's just the most British-looking young British girl, like, just with her, you know, kind of receding hairline and the whole <laughs> the whole thing. I mean, it's just a, I, many British child actors I've seen have that look to her. So mm-hmm. I don't buy her as American, is what I'm saying. Well. She's not. She. <laughs> Listen, you need to suspend your disbelief <laughs> because there's more episodes of this show to get through. Yeah, I don't know. And she's she's fine. Whatever. I mean, she's no Gordon. Uh, right. We cut to uh, Loxley Place, or whatever it's called, where Lady May is dining on Victor's latest creation. Uh, she is. She's impressed. She says he's a good cook, and she says, So, Mr. Caliano, or can I call you? And she, he interrupts her and says, Victor. No, I mean, he's he's on it. Like, yeah. now that he's made this decision, he's like, All right, yeah. I'm going for it. She tells him that he can help himself to a glass of wine. Thus, like indicating, you know, he's he's passed round one. Right, he's he's made it past servant, and so now we're moving into the liquoring up phase. <laughs> right, to see if he'll be promoted to. Uh... Well, he's he's going to get an audition, so we'll have to see <laughs> how that one goes. <laughs> you know, she likes his cooking, but that's not what she hired him for. <laughs> Oh, goodness. Yeah. Oh, Lord. One note that I have is the fact that the uh, color palette at the Selfridges house is blue, mm, mm-hmm. and the color palette at Lady May's is red. Oh. And that struck me as like this like very deliberate choice. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, and not in terms of like it, like being good and evil. It's just like I feel like somehow like the red at Lady May's is just like her life is very clean cut. Mm-hmm. You know, she's married to this guy. Yeah. He stays in the country. They never see each other. She gets to bang who she wants. Yeah. Whereas at the Selfridges, like, those lines are very blurry. Like, they don't, you know, they have an arrangement, but they don't have an arrangement. Yeah. Like, Lady May straight up has an arrangement. Right. Like, she and her husband were like, check it. Yeah. They, they, they may not have actually written out a contract, but they, they reviewed all the points. Yes. They know all the terms. Mm -hmm. The color palette at the Tower residence is soot. Um, it's like the Valley of Ashes. Yes. Uh, but there is a bright spot in it now as we see Agnes trying on her scarf in the mm-hmm. mirror. Uh, and then she lets her hair down, which every time on this show that any of the woman lets their hair down. They, they remove one pin. <laughs> well, they yeah. remove one pin. <laughs> and I'm like, no. Yeah. Your hair does not stay up with one pin. <laughs> I have hair. <laughs> right. And then it, and it always, I'm always like oddly unsettled by it too because it all of them look always really have weird. it up. Yeah. 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 Then we cut back to the Selfridges where 
Well, Harry is now watching the devil child <laughs> sleep. Which, right. You know, frankly, yeah. you probably should. Yeah. You know? Really should keep eyes on her. You know, has has grandma self fringe? Is she like <laughs> hanging by her fingertips? Saying, it's all for you, Beatrice. It's all for you. <laughs> there are more important things going on after the <laughs> the latest revelations. Uh, Rose comes into the room, looks at him, and then leaves. I really like the Foley work on this show. The All rustling right. of the dresses is always very satisfactory to me. <laughs> okay. th- it was very evident in this scene because she doesn't say anything. Right, right. You know, but you can hear the disapproving rustle of her petticoats. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so she goes off, uh, starts walking downstairs, and is pursued by Mr. Selfridge. Oh, I thought you were going to say a bear. <laughs> He's, uh, you know... He's pretty hirsute. He is pretty bear-like. I can get on board with that. Yeah. And they begin uh, to have it out. Like, I I was disappointed in both of them. Because I was like, mm-hmm. you need to be like in a room somewhere. Uh, yeah. You know? Well, I agree, except that I love those tiles so much that she's standing in front the of. The tiles are really great. I look so. at those all the time. <laughs> <laughs> He's just been watching that scene over and over <laughs> and over again. It's kind of disturbing. <laughs> I, I appreciate good tiling. Uh, yeah, but so basically, you know, it's, I mean, sort of predictable, really, although, you know, I, I enjoyed the scene, but. Yeah, it's played well, and like, even, even Piven kind of steps it up a little bit here. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's, what's noticeable here is that when she throws Ellen into his face, his first reaction is, whatever she told you, it's not true. Which, like, really? This cannot be the first time you've had this fight. Yeah. Seriously? Yeah. But it's it's just one of those things where it's, you know, he's been, he, he's been ready to say it's not true about this for, you know, however long it's been going uh-huh. on. So as soon as it came up, you know, that's what came out. That's just silly to me. Well, you know. Yes, it is silly. Well, but it's just, it's so weird. Like, it's like, you know, it's like addictive behavior. It's like, even though, like, literally everybody, everybody (laughs) knows. Yes. Nobody doesn't know that he's having sex with Ellen Love. People are like, oh, Mr. Selfridge, he runs that store and is banging that chorus girl, right? (laughs) I mean, she did come into his store and go, I don't see your (laughs) wife anywhere. I will never get tired of saying that. That's fine. If we were not already married, no. that would be in my vows. I'm the only person <laughs> in the world that you can't say that to. That's a really good point. <laughs> God, it's like, you know, could God you know, make a rock so big that even he can't lift it or whatever? It's it's similar. Yeah. Yeah. Or is it like a lever? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there's a lever involved. I just always thought that God should have a pretty sound understanding of physics. I, I think he probably does. Moving on. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, Rose is is not going quietly and, and she, you know, is, is basically saying that, you know, there's the double standard and that he gets to go out and do whatever and, mm-hmm. and she can't do anything. And I like that she's, and this gets echoed in the next episode, but she says, you get to go out and have your fun mm-hmm. because it's not, I don't think, really even about the sex. Right. Like, I mean, well, and it's not, I it's not something, she's not worried that he's going to leave her for any of these chuckleheads. No, but he, like, it's just like, you get to go out and you get to enjoy your life mm-hmm. and I don't get to do that. Yeah. And again, knowing now, as we do, that she spent four years living abroad. Right, right. This has to be kind of a weird circumscribed existence for her. Yeah, yeah. 
you know, Lois seems nice, but you know, she's no Roddy Temple. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God. But yeah, uh, but it ends with with her saying that uh, maybe I'll maybe I'll feel sorry for you tomorrow, but for tonight you can go to hell. Because he says, "Do you think I want to be this way?" Right. Right. Which like. I have a variety of feelings about sex addiction. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think any behavior can be used to, like, you know, systemically avoid certain things. Right, right. But, like, I just, I hate it. You know, if you are an addict, like, own it. You know? Well, Like, do you think I want to be this way? It's, it's, it's just, it's putting it in, you know, to whatever extent it's true, it's also something that he used to just uses to justify it to himself. Exactly. You know, making himself to be the special victim that can't control himself. And I mean, even if he can't control himself, you know, that's not an excuse. We're all adults and we all have to we're all accountable for our actions. Well, but I mean that's the thing too, is like, okay, if he really couldn't control himself when he decided to cut her off he wouldn't have been able to cut her off. Right. If he couldn't control himself, she'd be able to get him back. Mm-hmm. I mean, God knows she's sparing no effort. Absolutely. Yeah. As we're about to see. Yes. Uh, because we then see Mr. Selfridge at his club drinking, which mm-hmm. he is not given to doing. Yeah. Uh, and Mustache comes along as as he does. <laughs> Still not sure anybody else can see him. <laughs> right. It's not at all clear in this scene. Because, I mean, scene. come on. He might have just told Ellen Love about it, but now she's hallucinating. <laughs> no, no, remember, we have that friend, Mustache. He's our friend, our special friend that only we can see. Yeah. Uh, but I did actually enjoy Mustache in this scene. In, in sort of, it, this is a situation that he, you know, he's experienced in. He's like, he's, you know, treading delicately. He's like, okay. You seem to be about to go on a bender. Let me see if I can head this off. Uh-huh. But whether he would have succeeded or not is unclear because one of the employees of the club comes in and says, there's a woman to see you. I'm sorry I couldn't stop her. Which, excuse me? It's a gentleman's club. Your entire job is to stop her. Mm-hmm. The entire purpose of this club is to keep women out of it. Mm-hmm. If women can just get into the club, why do you even have it? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, like the lease is paid through the end of the year. You know, like people need somewhere to gamble. Um, yes. Sorry, she came in through the whore's entrance. We just assumed. Um, <laughs> we thought it was fine. <laughs> yeah, she'd been there before. Yeah, uh, but it is Ellen Love come to once again try to save what can't be saved. And you know what? She looks a mess. Yeah. She looks an absolute mess. No, and credit too, because it's the sort of mess where she really tried to look nice and still looks like a mess. Like she, you know, like her. Like her hair's not right and she's obviously like been crying. Yeah. Slash drinking slash, you know, coking it up. Yeah, she was clearly drinking and coking in front of her makeup mirror thinking, yes, yes, this will bring him back. This will bring him back. No, and she's just like wearing this ugly necklace and this like black dress that she clearly thinks is like sexy. Yeah. But just isn't. It's like, you know, like maybe it would be sexy on Helen Mirren like now, but like not on her then. Yeah. Uh, so Harry 
is, uh, you know, hammered and wandering around and we get more of the, you know. But you know what? He's actually pretty gracious to her. That's true. That is true. Despite the fact that he's completely hammered, he's really kind to her. And he's yeah. just like, you don't want to do this. Yeah. He's just like, please don't. It's yeah. not going to work. Like, you need to just go home. Right, right. And and she says something. I forget what she does. But, and Mustache says, okay, time to go. Yeah. And that it is his primary function is dragging Ellen Love from places she shouldn't be. <laughs> I don't think they pay him enough for that. Times, <laughs> yes. Frankly. <laughs> uh, so yeah. So uh, Harry's drunk and we get more of the test footage from Super 8 or whatever. And the <laughs> flashbacks. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see Kyle Chandler in there. <laughs> That would have much improved. He would have been a he much better oh dad because he even almost looks a little bit like Jeremy Piven. Yeah, that that would have worked very well. And he could have done an actual like rural, yeah, you know, accent. Except Kyle Chandler could never be a bad father. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm, I don't know. I didn't see Super Eight, well, so that's I'm not true, sure nor that did that's I. True. I. I'm just making that up. Oh, Coach. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and then we also, at this point, cut to Mustache coming to Ellen Love's place, uh, where she is lying on the floor with a bunch of pills artfully scattered near her hand. I think they're just vitamin C tablets. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll never catch a cold again. <laughs> <laughs> now how will I get the world to pity me? <laughs> Bring me chicken soup. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a totally bullshit suicide attempt. Yeah, man. Come on. Yeah. This is clearly a, I'll pretend that I'm trying to kill myself, but won't, and then well, everybody will feel sorry says, for me. Harry, you came. <laughs> and I'm like, that's clearly mustache. <laughs> yeah. Like, there, you he... needed to take more pills. <laughs> 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 no, see, she's been practicing that line. Yeah, yes. You know. Since, yeah. Since he cut her off, she was like, oh, I'll kill myself. And then when he gets there, I'll be like, Harry. <laughs> Harry, can you make it today? That's my impression of uh, Jennifer Connelly in Requiem for a Dream. I mean, to be fair, this scene, and this isn't saying much, but is closer to a Requiem for a Dream scene than anything we've ever covered. That's true. Wait, did we talk about the car crash yet? No, that's the next. Okay. Now is. Because, oh my God, I've never been more angry at a sequence in my life. Right. So... Jeremy Piven is drunkenly driving the fancy new car, which, by the way... Chekhov's lack of insurance policy. Yep. Uh, and having flashbacks, and, you know, he's clearly going to crash the car. Uh, and then we cut to a shot of Gordon playing with the toy car and, like, dropping it, and it falls and crashes. So, wait, is it his fault, then? Uh, apparently. Is it, like, a voodoo car? <laughs> apparently, it, Beatrice put a curse on it. Oh, my God. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so wait, does that mean that Francis O'Connor is the devil's dam? <laughs> I, I guess it does. Um, and yeah, and both Kelly and I, when they cut to that shot of the toy car, were just like outraged. No, because like, look, just, go uh, ahead and have this bullshit car accident, which right. is not based in fact, actually. Oh, it isn't? No, uh, in 1911, the family was in an automobile accident. Oh. And he was in, uh-huh. in difficult health. Oh, okay. For that reason. Uh, as far as I know, 
That, okay. is, that is the car crash that this is based on. Oh, I, well, good to know. But, uh, you know, granted, yeah, this is a little more exciting. Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, they got to make a good story. That's, yeah. I don't have a problem with that. Um, but yeah, that, that car crash was worse than Downton Abbey's car crash. Which, you know, maybe that was their plan. <laughs> I, I don't, <laughs> ugh. Ugh. It was, it was gross and upsetting. Yes. Just like that, uh, Anyway. Well, the best part was hearing Jeremy Piven talk about it. Yes. All right. Well, okay. So, yeah. Then yeah. We, that's the end of the episode. Then we get bonus footage of interviews with the cast. Oh, my God. And, like, Jeremy Piven is like, this is what my agent told me to say. Yeah. And I'm and wearing my smart man glasses. Oh, my. Does he not have an assistant whose job is to take those glasses away from him? No. Oh. He does not. He, oh. He fired that assistant. <laughs> hired the new one that was like, they look great, bro. Yeah, you look so classy. You look and so yeah. Were you like in a frat or something? Oh my god, I, I thought I thought you were Russell Westbrook for a second. <laughs> uh, no, but then fortunately they have like you know Zoe Tapper talking about yeah, yeah. Uh, Ellen Love and Frances O'Connor talking about Rose, and then the guy who created the show, what's his name? Andrew Davies, I think. I think so, but he is wearing so much eyeliner. He is. Did they make? Did they let him do his own makeup? I think they did. I think he was like, I've been doing my own makeup on the boards for forty-five <laughs> years, and I won't stop now. Yeah, but uh, you know, he's old. He's old. He's he's less sharp than Baron Julian. He is for sure. Yeah. Uh so that. <laughs> That, that, no, that's then, interesting. Then the best part is like at the end of this, like Jeremy Piven is like trying to tell the story of how they shot the car crash. Mm-hmm. And I guess he didn't know how to drive a stick. Well, it wasn't that he didn't know how to drive a stick. It was just that that had a, like the shifting pattern uh-huh. was weird on that car uh-huh. apparently. And he didn't know where some of the gears were. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And he nearly killed them all, I guess. But then he laughed. Yeah. So it was fine? Yeah, it was odd because it was like that anecdote was like sandwiched in with another one that was in completely different. It was just, yeah. just a little so odd. So yeah, so if you're miss look, if you're missing the Linny. Right. We highly recommend that you watch the post show. Yeah, the Piven. Yeah, watch the Piven. <laughs> Cuz he's just like saying things like you know, Harry was a businessman and he liked the ladies. And we're like, you're not giving us any insight into anything at all. Yeah. Yeah. So that brings us to uh, the next episode. This is, what are we on? Episode four, episode six? Six. Six. Okay. Um, the number of the Beatrice. <laughs> it is. She's still a child, so it's just one six. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and we open with Miss Tyler walking to work and seeing the headlines. Mr. Selfridge injured in car crash. Everybody's really excited to yeah. finally have some news to share. It's big news. Yeah. Uh, and also, as she walks in, a uh, suffragette is handing out uh, flyers saying votes for woman mm-hmm. and hands one to Miss Tyler. Then we cut to the Selfridges where they're having the most unpleasant breakfast ever. Yeah. It's, uh, I think it's just Granny and Gordon and maybe one other daughter. It's, it's two of the girls actually. Cause, well, cause they're reading that article, aren't they? Right. They're re- well, they're reading the, or no. Is that later that they're reading I the paper? I think that, I think that's later. Okay. Yeah. But, um, it's yeah. It's not a fun breakfast. It's not fun. Up in his room, Mr. Selfridge is lying unconscious. Um, everybody's, you know, sad, understandably. 
I'm, I'm just sad. You know, I just wish that he had had that portrait in the car with him. <laughs> well, it didn't burst into flames. <laughs> right. No, it would have survived. <laughs> it's been imbued with magical properties now. You're right. <laughs> um. <laughs> it wasn't even what if it wasn't even rose who sent it it was Beatrice. <laughs> that's how she knew to walk in at that moment yeah yeah <laughs> she's like i can feel it calling to me <laughs> they summoned her at the chelsea arts club oh <laughs> 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 yes I'm back at the store. Uh, management is is gathering to discuss, you know, what they're going to do. And Mr. Crab is uh, taking the lead. And he goes down to address the staff. Uh, he goes, uh, he, he stands on the stairs and starts talking to them and says, you know, as I'm sure you've all heard, Mr. Selfridge is in a very serious car crash. He is, you know, is uncertain or something like that. And Kitty is like, is he, uh, is he dead? That's all we want to know. And Mr. Crab is like, no, I thought I just said that. And she says, well, why are you wearing that mourning band? Which I don't know how any of them saw that because it's black no, on black. No, you can't even I, see yeah, it. Yeah, I can't. I couldn't tell it was Secondly, there. Well, anyway, he says he's wearing it because Mr. Grove's wife, Hetty, who he has nursed for low these 12 years, has died. Miss mm-hmm. Martle goes, woohoo! <laughs> she doesn't. <laughs> Ow. Anyway, that, you know, Mr. Grove, uh, needs their, he says, trouble comes in pairs. I'm like, no, it comes in threes. Yeah, I know. Everybody knows that. It's, it's true. But I don't understand why Mr. Crab is wearing a mourning band for him. I don't either, but I don't know. You know who I blame? Mrs. Crab. (laughs) I bet this has her all over it. You're probably right. Yeah. (laughs) He announces that, uh, that, uh, in Mr. Grove's absence, that, uh, Miss Martle will be chief of staff and Miss Revelius will be managing both fashion and accessories. Mm-hmm. To which, uh, Kitty says, oh, that horrible old dragon, or words to that effect. Yeah, and Miss Revelius sees her and has the best reaction. Where she's <laughs> yeah. Just like, what? Yeah. Like, I'm just angry that you'd be so dumb to say that without, you know, yeah. you, you got to look both ways before you insult a manager. Like, <laughs> this is a random question. Okay. But I'm so curious as to where all the staff stash their coats and hats. Yeah. It's like when Miss Teller gets there, she's in her coat and hat a lot. And then, like, she, like, starts working. But I'm like, no, no, no. You have to put your hat somewhere. Right. And there doesn't seem to be, like, the way the store is set up with the cases and everything, is there's no obvious, like, niches or whatever for no. them to be doing that. But I mean, they may have, like, a staff room or something like that. But they just, you, you know, know. Presumably. Once again, when did Mike Mulligan go to the bathroom? <laughs> right. Uh, back at the Selfridges, Mustache shows up. Uh, reporters are crowding the door. Mustache is a reporter, right? Yeah, he. I think he's actually an editor. Oh, okay. You know, he's he's a newspaper man. Okay, a newspaper man. That's a broader. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but he just tells them that he doesn't have anything for them, and they're like, "Oh, was well, a, a girl was with him, eh? What? What?" And you know, he, he has no comment. <laughs> uh, inside. Uh, this is when they're reading the paper. Right. Uh, because they have an argument about the word tycoon. <laughs> right. Because. Uh, I forget which one. That's mm-hmm. the thing. When Vi- when Violette and Beatrice are in the same scene, right. I cannot remember which one <laughs> yeah. is which. 
But one of them is like, I thought a tycoon was a storm. And everyone's like, no, idiot. It means a businessman. And it's great. Yeah. Uh, one note here. The paper that Granny is reading is wildly anachronistic because the headlines it shows are British troops in Cologne, the Huns day of ignominy, ignominy, and that Lloyd George is poised for victory. And those things are both post-World War One things. That's why the British troops were in Cologne. They were occupying the Rhine after World War One as part of the treaty. And I just I was surprised that they would uh, that they would do that. Well, like that they would show it in close up. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. Like just have it in the background. Don't you know some people have podcasts where they look for these kinds of things? Yeah. There are a lot of insufferable pedants in the world. Uh-huh. And speaking on their behalf, <laughs> please get your headline because it's, I'm just annoyed because I spent about 10 minutes trying to find out why British troops were in Cologne in 1910. <laughs> <laughs> but yes. And uh, so Mustache comes in and, and he has a bit of a conversation with Granny, which, which I kind of enjoyed. He's basically just talking about that, yes, Alan Love was involved and here's our media strategy. Here's how we're going to mm-hmm. keep this quiet. And she's saying that, you know, she can't put any of this on rose you know rose doesn't need to hear about this and he's like yep between the two of us we'll we'll keep things together and it was i no, and she says i can see why harry has you as a friend yeah yeah so that was nice to see mustache doing some good <laughs> uh upstairs in the room rose is uh you know keeping vigil and uh kirsten dunst comes in and tells her that she needs to take some rest and says that when he does wake up, he may not be the pa we all know and that we need to be ready to face that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I do like her and we should separate her from the other child actors. Yes, because she, well, she's an adult. She, yeah. You yeah. know, she's an adult person. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I do enjoy her and her, her character. Uh, back at Selfridges, a, haggard-looking Mr. Grove arrives. Oh, my God. Yeah. He really needed to stay home. He really did, and Miss Martle comes up to him and says as much. Yeah. And he says, he says, no, uh, they, they need me. The, 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 the ship needs its captain, a depressed, irrational captain. <laughs> no, he says, I am that man. And everyone's <laughs> like, no one likes you. <laughs> Bring me the appointment book and some whiskey. Mr. Crab was doing fine. He was doing fine. He was working it out with Blankensop. Oh, and, Blankensop. Oh, and she was sad. She was saying, you know, what, what Mr. Selfridge would say about appointments should never be longer than 15 mm-hmm. minutes. It's just hot wind after that. Yeah, It's true, man. Yeah, yeah. I hey, take a lot of meetings, and they always schedule them in a half an hour block. Mm-hmm. And you're like, why? <laughs> right. If it takes longer than 10 minutes, I'm going to be shocked. <laughs> yeah. We then cut to uh, the finale of Fat Thomas's audition. <laughs> <laughs> and what a finale it is. Yes. It is It is racy. Like, uh, maybe yeah. not I, Claudius racy, but it is... Uh, yeah, the sex is so good that Lady May's hair gets glued to her boobs. It does. <laughs> <laughs> no, so, like, he finishes. I don't actually, I guess it has to be his audition. He just well, seems, he seems so dismissive of her for somebody who's only just, although, well, it's the next day. They've probably been it's going probably at been it. a couple of times. Yeah. And, you know, prostitutes regret and all that sort of thing. <laughs> 
no, because they finish, and he like gets out of bed. She's like, "Where are you going?" And he's like, "I have to go to work." And she's like, "But I want company." He's like, "Yeah," and I said, "I have to go to work." Yeah. Um, you know, I guess that's the thing about you know having sex with Tony Travers. He doesn't like have to work or anything. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I, I liked it. I liked, it was, uh, you know, it was, it was sexy. Uh-huh. It, was, it was good. It was sexy. Yeah. And like, despite the presence of Fat Thomas. Yeah. You know, and it was sexy, not in a stuffy British way. Yeah. Like, no, everyone seemed to have, you know, taken their pleasure. <laughs> Back at the store, Ellen, or, uh, Miss Towler and Kitty and what's her name? Are Doris. Doris are gathered together and kitty is making fun of agnes for uh, talking about mr leclerc's like uh-huh. oh you're mr leclerc look how sad he looks it looks like he needs a cuddle all this sort of thing and i'll cuddle you yes uh, and agnes agnes is annoyed mm-hmm. with her and there's actually a little scene with her and doris saying that doris speaking up for kitty and saying that you know you did get put in ahead of her and she may talk and all this sort of thing but she does want to get on uh-huh um well, then maybe she shouldn't call Miss Revilius a dragon. Yes. Uh, and, and in fact, the dragon does break up this little conversation uh-huh. with a, uh, you know, uh, a disapproving frown at yeah. their personal chatter. <laughs> uh, and she sees at that point Agnes inadvertently drops the flyer that she was given mm-hmm. and Miss <gasps> Revilius sees it. And, well, Agnes is like, oh, no, like, that's... Just it's, holding it's not, yeah. I'm just holding it for some slack. Like, <laughs> and uh Miss Revilius is talking with her, you know, about like, oh, the demonstration that's happening the next day. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she's concerned and she's talking about how uh if there's any trouble it'll come from the police. Yeah. The way they did when they were at Parliament. Mm-hmm. I think it's is that where I think it was. It was somewhere. Yeah. They, that where they were uh, disgraceful. But then Miss Taller's face lights up and says, Oh, you were there and Miss Revilius like just like <laughs> stops talking. She's yeah. like, Shit <laughs> Well, because it's funny because, you know, this is Mrs. Pankhurst's group. Right, right. And, you know, the uh the jury is very much out on those methods. Right, right. Yeah. And you know, uh there's there's not there's not a clear position that all of these characters share. I mean, Mr. Yeah. Selfridge obviously is like somewhat, you know, pro suffrage. Right. But it's it's clear that many people are not. Yeah. We then cut back to Ellen Love recovering from her fake suicide attempt and uh talking uh I assumed a mustache. I don't know who Mustache else. has brought her a big bouquet of flowers. Mm. Uh, you know, it's basically the wingman's dilemma. You know, he's like, well, he's definite, like, he's definitely not coming. Right. So, I'm gonna swoop in. Right. So swoop if, in. If, if you're looking for some, uh, affection. You mean a mustache ride? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yes, Ellen Love is, he's, he's attempting once again to finally convince her that it's all over. But she she says that she could take this all to the papers and what a scandal it would be. And like, yeah, Alan Love, you'd come out of that looking great. That would work out real well for you. Yeah. And he'd certainly come back to you then. Mm-hmm. Like, what is this is not a credible threat. <laughs> okay, then we get a scene of the doctor visiting Mr. Selfridge. You know, he says his pupils are dilating, so that's good. Right. And uh, he... Uh, 
his his hand moves, I believe. Rose sees it, and so he starts uh, shouting and like, "Can you hear me, Mister Selfridge? Is anyone alive out there? <laughs> right? Can anybody hear me?" This was the advanced medical knowledge of 1910. Mm-hmm. He'd he'd done well in his shouting courses at medical school. <laughs> It's in bedside manner. <laughs> yeah. Advanced bedside manner. Yes. Uh, Rose, is, however, is called out uh, to speak with... It's the investor it's whose the, name I can't remember, but it's the, yeah. it's the man that Lady May set Harry up with. Right, right. And he wants to talk business. Mm-hmm. He wants to know what would happen if Mr. Selfridge dies, what would happen to his shares. Uh, just want to point out here that, like, nobody wigs out. <laughs> a la Downton Abbey. That's true. Although I guess he's not dead yet. He's, he's not dead yet. And this yet. does actually bear on him specifically. Right. Right. Oh, and I mean, I think, uh, I think Rose wants to wig out on him a little bit. Yeah, I think she's but she a bit can't. offended, but she can't. Yeah. Uh, but in any case, she tells him that, uh, the shares would go to Gordon. Boo! <laughs> Agreed. As Harry believes that commerce is a man's world. So they walk out, and the camera pans mysteriously to uh, the table in the room, uh, when it turns out that Gordon has been hiding under that table and heard the whole thing. And weeps a single tear. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, and for God's sake, don't give him the shares. What's oh my wrong God. With you? <laughs> he can't even drive a toy car. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's not a good sign. So back at the store, uh, they're having a staff meeting, which Mr. Grove is haggardly presiding over. Uh, barely. Yeah. He is, he's the worst captain. He is. He's a very I, poor captain. That's my note for this scene. Mr. Grove equals the worst. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, Mr. Villius has brought up the, uh, suffragette march that is happening. And Mr. Grove says that not a single woman of them is to set foot in the store. And there is much, Trading of glances among the other mm-hmm. managers. Um, well, because the following day is Tuesday, which r- is the day that the ladies lunch mm-hmm. at the Palm Court. Uh, you know, this is the great favor that Mr. Selfridge did for Lady May. Right. And uh, they're like, uh, yeah, if you tell them that they can't have their luncheon, they're going to be pissed. And he's like, fuck it. <laughs> he's like, don't care. Yeah. Hate those bitches. He really... Really hates suffragists. He does. He, he, he is, is really nasty about it. He is. He is passionate on the subject. Which I'm like, Miss Martle. Yeah. Uh, you can really do better. You can. I mean, to be fair, when they started getting together, suffrage wasn't even really a thing. That's true. So, yeah. So, we see the uh, Palm Court where Lady May has arrived for not the Tuesday lunch, but just a standard lunch. And yeah, she's like always there. She is. Well, it's a nice restaurant. I guess so. Her gigolo works there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, Mr. Perez speaks to said gigolo. <laughs> I don't know why gigolo is so funny. <laughs> it's like the humorous cellar door. <laughs> Uh, and he, he says that, yeah, the, the lunch has been canceled and he, Mr. Perez, is not going to be the one to break the news. Yeah, he didn't put in all of his years of gigoloing <laughs> right. to get to be you know, promoted to management <laughs> to get yelled at like a common gigolo again. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. 
Ah, oh, but it's so great because when the when Lady May and her two suffragist friends come in, mm-hmm. uh, one of them is saying that she doesn't think that Mrs. Pankhurst should dominate the proceedings yeah. so much. Yeah. And Lady May agrees, but says we mustn't let these inner divisions weaken the movement. And it's just ah, yeah. I just love Lady May. Yeah. She's such a good strategist. Yeah. And so when Victor comes in and breaks the news, is another thing I liked is that once it's made clear what's going on, the two uh, other suffragettes, what, you know, one of them says, well, we're not going to stay in a cowardly establishment. Mm-hmm. It stands up and walks out right then, uh-huh. uh, which I thought that was cool. And so does the other one. Lady right, May, right. however, yes. uh, you know, she's she's got a bit of weight to throw around. So yes. she goes up to the office's level and walks in on crap and like <laughs> Yeah. Who like... Yeah. They just like can't even believe that she's there. Yeah. Uh, but she's like, where is Mr. Grove's office? <laughs> and Mr. Crab's like, uh, d- uh, d- uh, uh, right this way. Yeah. And Blankensop just stands with a stunned expression through the whole scene. I, it's just so strange. Like they, I know they had to have. Right. Encountered her many times previous. Yeah. I guess they just, uh, well, usually they encounter her and then Harry sweeps and is like, Lady May, such yeah. a delight. Bon hami. <laughs> Back at the Selfridge bedside, this is Violette, I think, comes into... And I think we skipped an interesting little wrinkle when uh, the three sisters were hanging out and like reading the paper. Mm-hmm. Um, but Violette was excited because she saw in the paper about the demonstration oh, for the suffragists. Okay. Yeah. And she said that she wants to go because it sounds like a lark. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. But Rosalie says that you know what uh, Ma and Pa say. It's fine to support the cause, but not to make a spectacle of yourself. Yeah. And and you can definitely see her imitating Lady May all the I time. I really, really think that this actress is doing a really nice job. Yeah, like, I yeah. think she's got kind of a strange line to toe. Right, right. But I think she's doing it really nicely. Yeah. Uh, but Violette comes into Rose and asks about something about... She asks why Pa was driving out so late. Right. And I think that... Uh, I think that they had asked the same thing of of Grandma Selfridge, and mm-hmm. she's like, "Oh, you know your pa, always on the go." Uh, yeah. But Violette points out that it's very unfair that Pa gets to go out and have fun, uh, and also wind up in a coma, <laughs> while Rose is not allowed to do that. Yeah. And Rose is very touched by this, and yeah. she said the exact same thing <laughs> just the night before. Yeah. But she says something to her. She's like, what a... What a modern woman you are. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's it's a nice bit of uh, character work, uh, knowing what we do now know about Violette Selfridge. Yeah. Growing up to be, you know, quite the badass. Yeah. Uh, we then see some much less nice character work, which is Gordon Selfridge wandering the streets of london he has apparently never been outside no because like he's so astonished by like the fact that there are cars in the street like he nearly gets run over like this is i why he's not in the jungle like what is going on here he has probably look chloe grace morris (laughs) is doing the kate winslet thing (laughs) whether you play in a holocaust movie or a mental (laughs) why she wants an Emmy (laughs) 
for best miniseries. I don't know. I think she's holding out for a BAFTA. <laughs> she's trying. She's trying to become a B goth. <laughs> What if she wins an Olivier? Then she'd be a B Goot. Oh, yeah, that's true. This is a fun game. <laughs> this is a fun game. Send in your suggestions. <laughs> um, yeah, and he then goes into the store and blunders around. Uh, now, there are guards who appear to have been, you know, poached from the merry old land of Oz. <laughs> yes. <laughs> their, their uniform is odd. Yeah. That is true. So he's in there and he's like stumbling around the store again yes. as if he's never been in that store before, which we know for a fact that he has. Right. And he seems drunk. Like he seems <laughs> he hammered seem- drunk. <laughs> 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 he got into the medicinal brandy. <laughs> yeah. But like, so he's like wandering around the store and like one of the extras actually says, what a strange little boy. <laughs> But you know, it, it's the, you know, the sight of a child wandering around and like then somehow he like walks into a display or something. He runs into either a display or somebody carrying a bunch of boxes. It and like, but clear. like he gets buried in all this stuff <laughs> yeah, like in a every way single that thing defies physics. Falls directly on top of him. It's ridiculous. So, uh, you know, finally the security staff are like, we're going to get this kid. <laughs> and then he's like, no, no, I'm, I'm Gordon Suffrage. Harry Suffrage is my dad. And then Mr. Leclerc swoops and he's like, he's telling the truth. Leave him alone. <laughs> I like to think that after they cut away, he just kicks him once in his spleen. <laughs> but he wouldn't do that, he Mr. Wouldn't Leclerc. Do that. It wouldn't be elegant. He wouldn't damage the property of his friend and employer. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> uh, up in Mr. Grove's office, Ms. Martle is talking to him. Uh, they're having a bit of an emotional conversation about the relationship, uh, which is cut off at an awkward moment by Lady May's entrance. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she is basically demanding that the lunch be put back on and, and all that sort of thing. Well, she has 19 uh, other, like, regional heads. Right. You know, well, you know, while all the plebeians are out there <laughs> ruckus, yeah. they're going to get some shit done. Right, right. Uh, but Mr. Grove, uh, ass face that he is, stands firm and, and is not going to allow it. Mm-hmm. Uh, to which Lady May says, when, when he finally gives his final no, she says, in that case, I cannot be held responsible for the actions of the extremists. Of the militants. Of the militants. And yes. I really like this scene for a variety of reasons. He says something about, uh, you know, these women will not be allowed to set foot in our store. And she says, I am one of these women. <laughs> And he doesn't quite know what to do, you know, because he's clearly got this, you know, preconceived notion about what these women are like. Right, right, right. And she does not fit that description. Mm -hmm. And she asks uh, Miss Martle, you know, what her position on suffrage is. And she's like looking at the floor being (laughs) like, I don't think violence is a means to anything. And I got the impression Lady May has their number mm-hmm. because like, yeah, Mr. Grove is so adamantly against it. And like Miss Martle is like so embarrassed. Yeah. Yeah. Like she's embarrassed because Miss Martle's clearly pro suffrage. Right. Even if she can't like, she may, she may disagree on tactics and, and means, mm-hmm. but yeah. Anyway, uh, Lady May holding it down like a boss. Yeah. 
Like she always does. Like she always does, wearing a magnificent hat mm-hmm. that is like just it is completely behind her head. Yes. Yeah. However it's perched on there is miraculous. <laughs> yes. Back at uh Ellen Love's place, this may actually be the gaiety, I'm not sure, but Mustache is talking to her um and discussing sort of her, her future it plans. It is the gaiety. It is the gaiety. Okay. Um because she's you know, he's saying that uh you're not gonna get much work at the gaiety if you're, you know, a scandal monger and all this mm-hmm. sort of thing and she's like oh i don't even know if i want to do this anymore uh you know i mean which to be fair chorus girl is a limited time career you you got to start thinking about your other options at some point like lady may yep uh well yeah so she had a yeah plan a is clearly out the window now well it's not a bad plan she just needs to find somebody who's not married right right uh but she's well you know it it's finally failed she's a bit down um and mustache says that what have you considered the serious theater and that he could talk to some playwright chappies <laughs> all of whom i'm sure would not appreciate being called playwright chappies but <laughs> uh and it is made clear that this is the deal that if she does not go public he will help her help transition her. yeah yeah which is you know that again that that's mustache doing mustache that's that's his deal and he he handles it nicely mm-hmm. so then gordon's up in the like staff offices mm-hmm. and miss Towler is there you know helping him out she's like yeah. they're playing with a top yeah and i'm yeah. like somebody invent tv for the <laughs> love of god yeah it's wow yeah, so anyway, so uh, Mr. LeClaire is talking to Blankensop and Mr. Crab, and he's like, you know, I know the family, I can take him back, because they've been trying to call, but the line is, like, permanently engaged, mm-hmm. and they're assuming that it's, you know, like, newspapermen keep calling the house. Right, right. Uh, or honestly, if I were them, I would have just taken the phone off the hook. Right, exactly. But, uh, so he says, you know, he is familiar enough with the family that he can take Gordon back home. And then he says, you know, Miss Towler has befriended him. Let us all go. And then perhaps we will go to a hotel together to recover. <laughs> <laughs> so then they're walking him. Back to the Selfridge residence, which must be extremely close to yeah. Oxford Street. Yeah, which um, would make sense. Yeah, uh, and you know, Gordon's saying, "Oh, you know, if if my pa dies, then I have to run the store." And Mister Leclerc's like, "Over my dead body." <laughs> <laughs> so they get to the Selfridge residence and they go inside, and then Rose runs out and says, "Gordon, where have you been? We're worried sick." I'm like. Yeah. Were you? Did anybody even know he was like? Are you just putting this on? Like, right. No, no, no. We rang up the bobbies and and and, and Grandma what? went looking for you. Right. No, hide the champagne, everyone. <laughs> we thought we were rid of him. We we're sure we would get run over. We've never taught him how to cross the street. <laughs> <laughs> No, so, and then, ah, uh, Monsieur LeClaire and Miss Teller are so cute because yeah. he's like, oh, you know, uh, he's just like, oh, you know, we'll leave you. Like, we don't want to bother you. Right. And, but Miss Teller's like, oh, you know, we're all praying for Mr. Selfridge back at the store. Yeah. And I'm like, you're the cutest people. Yeah. 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 And then, <gasps> and then, oh, uh, nah. <laughs> 
Gah. Monsieur Leclerc and Miss Taller do uh, stop off just to sit uh, in a park or, you know, mm-hmm. somewhere. They, they take a seat and discuss things. Uh, and they discuss whether the two of them are involved with anybody at the moment. Well, he also, he says, oh, you know, you like, you like kids. Uh, yeah. I yeah. really liked this part of the conversation. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, oh, you are, you're good with children. She's like, oh, yeah, I like them. And he's like, why don't you get married and have babies? <laughs> yeah. And she's like, I got too much to do at the store. Yeah. And he actually likes that answer. Right, right. Um, and yeah, and so he asks if she has someone. She's like, yeah, but he likes to tell me what's what a bit too much. Mm-hmm. And uh, she asks, oh, what about your uh, your French girl in New York? Yeah. And he says she's in New York. Yeah. And uh, he's, and but there is someone in England. Uh huh. And uh, but uh, she is uh, an ingenue. What was the word in English? An innocent. <laughs> And then all the lights go on for Miss Tower, and she's like, <laughs> "Yeah, but it's super great because he's like, so I'm afraid I will scare her off if I make the first move. And what do you think I should do? Uh huh. Well, because she says maybe not. Uh huh. <laughs> and and yeah, he says, "What do you think I should do?" And she says, "Maybe just wait a little bit or something yeah. like that." But it's it's super. But he's like, "I'm very good at waiting." Yeah. And yeah. like everybody is like, "Oh my god." Yeah, it is. and by everybody I mean me. Well, uh, I think also everybody. Come on, this is like the ideal Mary Sue type like relationship. Yeah, yeah, like it is so amazing. Yeah, well, because he's not even the one who like saved her from her dad, right? Like, right. she's you know she's got a lot going on in her life, and this is just like one part of it. And yeah, I like that. yeah, and it's just based on personal and professional respect. Mm-hmm. Uh, back at the gaiety, Ellen Love is departing to distant sounds of applause and one of the other chorus girls is like good show which <laughs> she punches her in the face. <laughs> right well that's the problem with the theater because everybody says good show after every show and many of them aren't good no <laughs> so you never know what that means uh, well but, and i think alan loves but past that at this point yeah yeah uh and well and indeed she is she goes in and she's uh removing her makeup in the mirror and it's like so that's it the no more you know that's the end of my time at the gaiety or, mm-hmm. or however she phrases it yeah so. she says something else like totally unintelligible <laughs> right so if you know what she said let us know <laughs> <laughs> we then get some more of these uh you know flashback thingies uh or you know just not flashback did we skip per se Gordon explaining why he ran away i guess we did yeah because gordon when they brought him back right he was like, oh, you know, I heard you say that if Pa dies, I I inherit the store. Mm-hmm. He's like, I was checking on the store. Right, right. Uh, this is news to his sisters. Yeah. Who are pissed yes. off. Yes. Because Rosalie's like, Ma, is this true? And Violette is like, what shit? Yeah. And Rose yells at them. is like, go to the library. Yeah. <laughs> And, you know, she just doesn't want to deal with it. But then right. then she's talking to Lois. She's like, oh, Lois, we fought. That's why he went out and got drunk and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I should have gone after him, you know. And she's like, I'm not mad at them. I'm mad with myself. Yeah. And it's also a very good scene. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. Yeah. But then uh, fast forward. Yeah. Back back to the present. Uh, uh, it is Mr. Selfridge, you know, basically this is his coma that we're seeing. Um, and he's starting to come out of it and he's seeing people and he's like, what, what's going on? What am I doing on PBS? It doesn't seem like my kind of thing at all. Lloyd! <laughs> um, but yeah, he, uh, 
he you know is wakes up essentially and is is has is coming to back at selfridges they are wrapping up for the day and uh or you know or are they because every other member of the management is trading significant glances at each other as mr grove is leaving they're like oh yes Good night, Mr. Grove. Well, and Miss Martle is like, I'll walk home with you. Yeah. Wait. <laughs> right. And they're like, we'll certainly be leaving momentarily, not uh-huh. undermining you in any way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Mr. Grove is indeed quite gullible. So that works out. Well, he's also, you know, shell-shocked with grief. Fine. Well, I don't, look, I'm not happier <laughs> about it than anybody else. Right, right, right. It's just. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's, that's, that's a fair point. May not always be this gullible, and in fact, probably isn't given his position. Yeah. Um, but with him gone, Mr. Crab gathers the staff together, and this this episode is like Mr. Crab is so great in this. He's really fantastic. And I didn't even really mention it, but when he gives a speech to the staff at the beginning, you see there's shots of him before and after, like psyching himself up to do uh-huh. it, and then afterwards, like giving a sigh of relief. You know, it's not. It's not that's not his thing giving yeah. these inspirational speeches, but but he does it. It's really great. No, and you can see him trying to like do it like Mr. Selfridge would. Yeah. Well and you know, and, and when they're all up, you know, discussing things with, with Mr. Grove, you know, Mr. Mm-hmm. Villius is like Mr. Selfridge would have a plan on how to deal with these suffragists. Yeah. So you better yeah. fucking come up with a plan. Mm-hmm. And Mr. Grove is like, but I'm not the planning guy. <laughs> right. I'm the ginger, damn it. <laughs> Ginger never reconsiders. <laughs> uh, but Mr. Crab gathers the staff together and tells them that uh, they've got a plan to deal with the march tomorrow, and it'll it'll require uh, working a late night. And anybody that wants to go home can. But but let's all pull together and, and do this thing. And everybody is inspired. Um, you know they are. Yeah. Well, and I like to, because there's an argument about the suffrage movement. Because mm-hmm. he says, you know, this is a pro-suffrage store. And then all, like, hell breaks loose for a second. Yeah, yeah. There's, like, one yelling suffragette extra because she's like, our voices need to be heard. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you just got the equivalent of whatever a SAG card is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was fantastic. It was. It was. No, but Mr. Crab is very respectful. He's like, if, if you don't want to participate in this, that's fine. Go right. home. Right, right. Uh, and Fat Thomas does not want to participate in this, although he's not <laughs> going home. Oh. No. He tells uh, Agnes... He's the worst at being a gigolo. Yeah. He's the worst because he says that somebody wants to, uh, wants him to cook. Uh, and he says, oh, and I, I need to go meet her. Him. Him. Not a lady. Not a lady. And Miss Teller's like, I don't... What's your name again? <laughs> yeah. What's going on? I just I, hung out with Mr. LeClaire all day. Yeah. I, I've forgotten every other man's name. <laughs> <laughs> I've been hanging out in LeClaire de Lune. <laughs> <laughs> but then, you know, there's a big working together montage. Yeah. Folding silk. Yeah. Uh, oh, and there's some very... Uh, there's a, a, a shot of Miss Taller and Mr. LeClaire folding up some silk together that is fraught with sexual tension. <laughs> it is. Fraught. It is, it is some sexy silk. Mm-hmm. And as we all know, it is, it is all in these suffrage colors. Yes. Uh, we do see Miss Martle uh, reaching Mr. Grove's door with him. Uh, and he says that she shouldn't come in 
uh, that it's it's still not right. Even though she's dead, he still has to respect her. And she's like, okay. Also, like, this is your time. You took care of her for 12 years, and now you don't have to do that anymore. And, and you know, this mm-hmm. is your time now. And he, uh, you know. He he goes inside and cries. Yeah. So clearly they're not on the same page anymore. They are not. And it's... It's rough. <sighs> oh, Miss Martle. Yeah. <laughs> it's No, it's it's hard to watch. Like, it is. Her performance also is extraordinarily affecting. Yeah. Because, yeah. She, you know, she's sort of like this plain-looking woman, mm-hmm. but she's very good at her job, and mm-hmm. she, you know, I think holds herself in high regard. And to see her kind of brought low by the fact that, you know, he is grieving this woman that she thought... He had, yeah. The, yeah, I mean, she's been characterizing this woman for years as the only reason they couldn't really be together. Right. And, you know, I mean, I will say it's a little optimistic on her part to expect him to be like, all right, let's go get hitched, like, yeah. the day after she dies. Right. But at the same time, for him to not even be begrudgingly saying things like, well, right. yeah. at least now you and I can really together because that's what lady may interrupted her saying she's like right, i right. would give all of this up gladly yeah for you yeah and he seems like maybe he doesn't want to do that yeah so oh and he said he came to work because it was too quiet at his house i mean like did she make a lot of noise <laughs> this invalid wife of yours she may have i, I mean know. yeah I, the nature of her invalidness is mm-hmm. not clear yeah uh, back at the store, they have wrapped up, and it really doesn't seem like it took them that long. No, because they showed the clock was like, you know, like a little after nine. Yeah. It seemed to be done a little after ten, so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but but I think he- they only did one window. Yeah, I think that's true. Uh, in any case, they're all done, uh, and Mr. Villius tells Mr. Crab that he was very inspirational and, mm-hmm. and that he did a great job, and yeah. it's nice. She shakes his hand. Yeah. He doesn't know what to do. <laughs> yeah. He's like, Mrs. Crab doesn't let me shake hands with women. <laughs> Also, cousins, it's really cute because Tom really liked what Mr. Crab did, so he's like crying. <laughs> I yeah, I really appreciated Mr. Crab in this episode. Yeah. Uh, back at the Selfridges, Harry has woken up, and by God, he wants to go straight to the store. Oh my God! And the doctor says that's out of the question, uh, but apparently it's not out of the question because he's going. No, because like Rose is like, no, 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 go, and yeah. I'm like, do you want him dead? Like you really shouldn't let him. Yeah. Not only that, but he just walks off. He's like, I'll, I'll just walk and take the air, maybe not be driving or whatever. Which, yeah. I mean, well, that's fine as far as it goes. Perhaps somebody should have walked with him. Like, mm-hmm. is that, like, let him go, but maybe just one person go with him. Just a thought. Uh, but they do not. He, he walks to the store and the, the march is going on and they're, they're there. They're chanting deeds, not words. Mm-hmm. Uh, things are, things are getting tense. The, you know, the specifically kind of, uh, shaking their fists at Selfridges. Yeah, well, because one of the women who was with Lady May the previous day is like, right. you know, yesterday they told us we weren't welcome here. Let's show them, you know, what we do to people who don't <laughs> like us. Yeah. So they're all like ready to like start bashing the window. Yeah, you see one of, there's Boy, a rock in somebody's hand. they chose hand. that window, eh? Well, yeah. Uh, because inside they are alarmed at the fact that there's about to be a riot inside their store. Uh-huh. Um, they're like, we need to open the window. And Monsieur Leclerc's like, it's not ready. Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
um, okay, Monsieur Leclerc, we understand that you are a perfectionist, but uh, maybe, maybe not so much, especially since uh, you, it's been like 10 hours since you all, you could have done it overnight. Yeah. But in any case, they, uh, they convince him that to save all of their lives, perhaps they will show an unfinished window. Yeah. Um, and they do, and you know, just as they're about to start throwing rocks, the window is opened, and it is a, a suffrage display. It's uh-huh. the the WSP WUSP, which I forget what that stands for. Yeah, Women's Universal Suffrage Program or something. I don't know. I don't know. Whatever it is, you know, it's it's the the movement the that is protesting them. Yeah, yeah, it's their movement. And, and then all you know the. The rocks are dropped. Yeah. Everybody is so happy. And Mr. Selfridge then, like, wanders into this. <laughs> yeah. Promptly passes out. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, coma or not, he still has a concussion. <laughs> right. But then, one of my favorite things that has ever happened on this show, mm-hmm. Violette fights her way through the crowd. She has turned her hair up mm-hmm. and is wearing the suffrage colors and has yep. been out marching. Mm-hmm. And he's fortunately... uh concuss <laughs> right. like hey what are you doing here and she's like i might ask the same of you <laughs> but then all the suffragists are like three cheers for mr selfridge <laughs> hip hip hooray it's like- and it's the most if anybody wants to know what this show is about <laughs> i would show them this this like aerial shot of jerry piven just being like where am i and all these women cheering around him. i know it's like this is the most applause i've ever gotten for passing out <laughs> and i was at yale <laughs> so that's the end of this episode mm-hmm. crisis averted yeah suffrage wise indeed Yes, and if you would like to get in touch with us uh, about Mr. Selfridge or uh, anything else, mm-hmm. you can email us at upyoursdownstairs at gmail.com. You can tweet or carrier pigeon at us. We're at 5 Maggie Smiths. That's the number five on <laughs> Twitter. Or you can search Up Yours Downstairs on Facebook and get in touch with us that way. That's right. And you can always find us and many other fine podcasts on baldmove.com. Absolutely. All right. Well... We'll be back uh, in a couple weeks with yet another installment of Mr. Selfridge Recaps. So until next time, up, up yours, yours downstairs, downstairs luncheon. Ah.